kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Auntie Nanny. Uh, as usual, tonight we're going to start with the CASA update portion of the program. Good evening, Alex. Uh, how are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, welcome to the CASA update for the week of 224 2017. What's new and exciting this week, Alex? Um, all kinds of things. Sorry, I missed uh, last week. Uh, I was in DC. I had a couple yeah. of days of a couple of meeting filled days um and uh, uh, the topic of discussion <clears throat> for a good portion of that was of course uh hr 1136 um mm -hmm. which is the fda deeming authority clarification act of 2017 uh right. and uh i was a little bit late at putting our announcement out about this, but uh, we got it up on Tuesday mm -hmm. and uh, we're, we were urging people to take advantage of this week, um, which was uh, kind of a, it was a recess for uh, Congress and they were okay. likely back in their home districts, um, also possibly holding town hall meetings, but uh, there's a bit of an should be an obvious acknowledgement there that uh, there are other issues that are at the forefront of people's minds. And uh, I have heard from other people, uh, I actually talked to some people in, in Washington today <clears throat> who tried to go to a town hall meeting with one of their representatives. And it was just that you, that there was no place really for people to talk about um, the vaping or any other issue beyond uh, mm -hmm. I think rage at, the uh, Democrats being ang angry at Democrats and Affordable Care Act and stuff like that. So, um, and this is kind of one of our concerns, you know, going into the, you know, encouraging people to go to town hall meetings, but, you know, are you really going to be able to cut through the noise? Um, I'm sure that in some districts um, you can get in edgewise, uh, possibly in, in districts represented by a Democrat, um, but, yeah, like I said, even even in Washington, it was, seemed like the, the the crowd was uh, expressing their disapproval. Um, mm -hmm. So, 
but that was, you know, and it's, it's an important thing to, to bring up and, and keep out there that, um, you know, this year, I, I, I think I'd, I'd like to do a better job of informing people of when um, their representatives are back in their districts. And, and that's a really easy way to schedule face-to-face -face, uh, meeting time with them. Um, so uh, it's, uh, yeah. And, and that's actually, you know, that calendar is available on, um, actually there's a link to it in our announcement. Um, Sorry, taking a drink of water there. Um, so, uh, yeah, but, you, you know, the important thing is to, you know, encourage people to make phone calls. And um, I think uh, if, if people do have the opportunity to meet with their lawmakers in person, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy to uh, talk with them, go over the, with them, you know, what you can expect from a meeting and things that you should uh, be prepared to take with you. You need some leave behind materials and talking points. Um, and uh, it's, it's pretty straightforward stuff, but it's always helpful to right. have someone kind of uh, guide you through the process. So, uh, yep. Uh, so HR 1136, um, the nitty gritty of this for those who have not read uh, the bill or read our announcement about it. Um, it, it is essentially um it's a, a continuation, a, a logical progression of HR 2058, the Cole Bishop Amendment, and now we have the Cole Bishop Bill. Um, and for those keeping score, uh, the Cole Bishop Amendment is still right. in the Agricultural Appropriations Bill. Okay. Um, and, it, you know, there's... Okay. I, this 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 may be another one of the situations where Congress decides to kick the can down the road a little bit with another continuing resolution. Um, I'm not exactly sure. There was some sort of hemming and hawing and not really a lot of certainty as to whether or not um, that whole thing is going to go through the budget process. But um, the original Cole Bishop is still in that appropriations bill. So um, that's still there. Now we have this uh, standalone bill, which added some extra language, which dealt with, you know, one of our concerns. And I know that there were a lot of people mm -hmm. in the industry that were concerned with the battery standards language. Um, and, you know, the, the simplest way to, to describe this is if the FDA, while the FDA is directed to promulgate a rule uh, about battery standards, um, but, you know, once that's done, if a device manufacturer needs to modify their product that was on market prior to August 8th, 2016, uh, they now will not, will not have to go through PMTA in order to make those updates right. to be compliant with the FDA rule. So, um, that that's an important thing. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not a device manufacturer. I don't know the nitty gritty of it, but, um, I suspect at the very least that gives some people um, some wiggle room there. Uh, and, you know, that was a big concern before because, you know, if you've got to make these changes, you know, who cares? I mean, it's, it's again, it's just more sort of de facto ban. Mm -hmm. um, there's no way that you can make it through PMTA. So, uh, yeah. Um, but HR 1136 fixes that. Uh, and you know, this is, 
this is part of the larger strategy. Um, this bill is all about immediate relief. Um, you know, their manufacturers, retailers, consumers need to know that these products are going to be around beyond August of 2018, which is a little over a year away. Um, so, uh, um, then the other thing to bring up is that there will likely be other pieces of legislation introduced this year. Um, some one that, uh, might deal with the more complex issue um, of, of classifying vapor products different from tobacco. Um, And, you know, I, I do, I want to just point out that, you know, when we're talking about that, that action in particular, um, that's a much longer conversation uh, than, than, than what we're going to probably be able to achieve in the next um, in the next year, okay. uh, which is why a lot of this effort is focused on the predicate date. From you know the legislative strategy is focused on mm-hmm. this the predicate date change. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know to put that into perspective, the existing Tobacco Control Act took you know probably over ten years to get to the point where it was actually introduced. Sure. Um, you know, they started talking about giving FDA authority over tobacco products, as far as I know, you know, in the mid nineties. Yeah. Uh, and, and it took, it took a decade before, you know, they actually had a piece of legislation. So, you know, now we're talking about revisiting the tobacco control act. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about changing the, the mandate for the center for tobacco products. Right. Um, that, you know, that, that has to happen in order to get them to embrace harm reduction strategies. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, you know, that's not something that's going to get turned around in a couple of years. Um, no. Yeah. No. So um, this, this really is about, about, you know, living to fight another day. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, from, from the legislative strategy perspective, we're, um, we are, we are supporting HR 1136. Um, Hopefully, you know, uh, fingers crossed something happens and there's a companion bill in the Senate. No word on that yet, but that would be very helpful. Right. Um, and um, so immediately, actually, the beginning of next week, we'll, we'll, we'll put out another, um, another note about support for H.R. 1136. Um, right now, as it stands, august8th.org mm-hmm. points you to our <clears throat> updated email campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, to support this this bill, okay. um, uh, updated uh, letter, some you know some minor changes just to kind of note the bill, mm-hmm. um, and so that is that is still the place to go for the most up to date engagement. Um, but you know um, one of the things that we were talking about last year was you know continuing to support HR twenty fifty eight, and um, you know we picked up a, about a dozen or so sponsors in the remaining few months of uh, the session last year. And those, those sponsors are people that we can reach out to and get their support for this bill quickly. It should, Mm -hmm. should happen quickly. So there's that list of 70 some co-sponsors from HR 2058. If you live in those districts, um, you know, absolutely. Your participation is vital and, and get them to sign on as a co-sponsor. And there'll be some other, um, some other 
groups of lawmakers that uh, we'll, we'll probably be focusing on uh, specifically. No details yet, but um, you know, if you're a CASA member and you're signed up to get email alerts from us, be on the lookout. We will probably be reaching out to you um, via email specifically because you you live in a district uh, represented by somebody that we need to get on board. So okay. um, that's that's something we'll be working towards soon. Um, so that's yeah. exciting. Um, to move it back a bit to the States, um, Monday, Monday morning in Trenton, uh, there is a hearing in the house health and senior services committee. Mm -hmm. Uh, there are two bills that we're looking at here. Uh, one is a ban on flavored vapor products. Right. And I believe this is, this is the companion bill to Senate bill 298 from last year, right. um, which is still, uh, that's still a bill. New Jersey, like <laughs> never goes out of session. It's just, it's, it, it's ridiculous. Um, I love the lawmaking in New Jersey then. Yeah, they never go out of session and bills carry over. So it's it's insane. <laughs> um and uh so this this is the house bill. Um I don't have my thing opened, but um awkward silence, awkward silence, <laughs> awkward silence. That's um really awkward. So New Jersey a three seven zero four. That is the bill that prohibit that would prohibit flavors, um, and the other bill is a four six two zero, and this is we haven't seen a whole lot of these around the country, but I suspect mm -hmm. uh, in the more tobacco controlly aggressive states, <laughs> we'll probably see some of these things. This prohibits um, the use of price reduction instruments. So coupons, uh, buy one, get one, you know, sales, rebates, anything like that. This prohibits that for tobacco products um, and vapor products. Um, and uh, obviously that's inappropriate um, for all low risk products, honestly. Um, and I, I, I compare this to taxation, you know, it's, you know, whereas taxation serves to make these products less affordable um, and discourage use uh, and and typically treat vapor products just like cigarettes in, in terms of tax regulation, mm -hmm. um, this, this coupon bill basically does the same thing. It, it lumps us in with, with, with cigarettes and, um, you know, it, it takes away that, that cost savings incentive that... That, that vapor products can have. I mean, you know, arguably vapor products, if you, if you do it, if you're, if you're mindful, um, not, not like I was in the first two weeks of vaping, but if, if you're mindful <laughs> of, of, of how you use the products, you can actually stand to save a lot of money by right. switching. Um, and that's, well, you know, without, without any discount. Some people can. Some people, people can. Some people can. But, uh, you know, it, it's. Well, uh, you're breaking up a little bit. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, great. Um, I'm flipping a pen around too. I don't know if the microphone's picking that up. Okay. <laughs> um, 
so yeah anyway you know it, it, anything that takes away that cost savings advantage and and you know the ability of vapor retailers to to promote their products you know that's certainly you know as far as i'm concerned that that's that's uh i i know it, it you know the ultimate goal is that it it results in a sale right. it's promotion for their business but one way to look at it from from our perspective is that that's a form of outreach um, mm-hmm. you know the, the idea is to 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 entice smokers into a uh, a less risky product so right. we'll be opposing that as well okay speaking of flavors and I, i'm not <laughs> totally well versed on this and it's totally outside our sphere of influence um okay. But uh, I was looking at the Canada Bill S5, and me and Vary were talking about this before we came on. Okay. I didn't I didn't realize how bad this was, but there's flavor ban language in there, right? And and they want to they want to prohibit uh, the flavors uh, confectionery, dessert, cannabis, soft drink, or energy drink. I just so thought I'd throw that out there. Tobacco and menthol, basically, which is kind of. I know in the beginning, that's kind of what we were saying we we're going to be stuck with. Um, you better find a tobacco flavor you like, because that's all you're going to be stuck with. Uh, I sincerely hope that's not correct. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if coffee qualifies as an energy drink in Canada. Um, but, uh, you know, coffee and tea, I think, would be off that list. Um They don't say anything about, well, I don't know if candy qualifies as confectionery. I Mm-hmm. Normally, figure that's just you know, bakery, pastry, yeah, bakery stuff. Um, but uh, you know, like Jolly Ranchers or some sort of lollipop, whatever. Um, I wonder if is cotton candy considered in a, a confectionery? I think so. Um, okay. I, I think I think to tobacco control, yeah. Okay, well, they're a bunch of jerks. So <laughs> yes. Anyway. Um, yeah, that's that sounds pretty crappy, and I, I hope that uh, Canadian vapor people are able to push back on that because that's that's just silly. And you know, it's the same argument. Like it, it's you know, it's presented in this way, but like you know, uh, the, the the actual section of the the law, the bill says, no person shall promote or sell a vaping product that has an appearance, shape, or other sensory attribute or a function for which there are reasonable grounds to believe that it could make the product appealing to young persons. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. It, and to me, I, you know, I read that and I think, you know, I remember Grim Green's obsession with the clicky button. Yeah. Like that's a pretty appealing. There's, I'm sure there's a lot of young people out there that are like, you know, clicky. I like yeah. that. So, you know, it does. It, it does very, very, it bans nearly everything. Which, if so. that's what, what they were uh, setting out to do, then, uh, yeah, good, jo- good job. <laughs> yeah, so, Kassaw is not active in Canada, and I, I just, I, I brought that up only because, well, my wife is from Montreal, so I, I do spend time up there. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was, I was sadly under, under aware <laughs> <laughs> of what this bill was going to do. So anyway, poor Canada. Um, Yeah, so. um, What else do we got going on here? Um, Arkansas. The um, 
This is the uh, Senate Bill 285. Mm -hmm. This got pushed back a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it give, gives people um, oh, a couple more weeks, a week or something like that mm -hmm. um, to, uh, yeah, get their, get their testimonies in order. Um, so yeah, this was pulled back from the hearing that we had made an announcement about, um, which is good news. I mean, that, you know, I, I think that that shows that, you know, people sending in a bunch of emails that tends to, that, that does send a message that is effective, especially when we're catching things before they're going into a committee hearing. Right. Um, so, um, but yeah, that was the, the Arkansas, uh, indoor clean air amendment. And it was a, kind of a weird thing with this. There were two bills in Arkansas. So one bill um, changed the definition of smoking to include vaping. And then the other bill would exclude vapor shops from the uh, ban on vaping indoors. Um, but there were two separate bills. It was, it's kind of strange how that worked out. I mean, just, you know, this indoor use ban should be defeated outright and, right. you know, um, but, uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's the update on that. There is also a tiny update on Kansas, uh, on this, you know, we're days late on this, but, um, is it Senate bill one thirty? um, that ended up being the bill that got the amendments to change the tax rate to five cents per milliliter. Um, and, uh, a couple of other things, I'm sorry, I don't have it in front of me, okay. but, uh, the update from Kansas from, uh, Spencer Duncan, who's been operating as a lobbyist out there, or he is a lobbyist, mm -hmm. um, was, uh, that, uh, this isn't going to be, they're not going to touch this again until next month. So, uh, but, I guess they have to kind of clear a bunch of other bills off the, the off their schedule um, this week, uh, maybe into next week before a, a very important deadline. So, um, okay. but the amendments have been made, and in the in the interim, the funny thing about Kansas is, and this is something that came up, you know, when we were talking last week. Um, the funny thing about Kansas is that there's no mechanism for the Department of Revenue to collect taxes. It is voluntary <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i thought that was amusing um that is quite funny yeah so but that's you know it's it's uh you know at this point in the process it's it's good news that uh you know the amendments are being accepted to reduce the tax to five cents per milliliter and everybody is on board with this um from right. what i understand the story last year was that reynolds was actually supportive of the 20 cent per milliliter tax and uh, this year, they they have come around and and are are you know in agreement with with the trade association and um, other companies and and five cents per milliliter is agreed on. So it's right. nice to see uh, a change of heart from from Reynolds. That is nice. Yeah. Um, I don't think I should ever stop talking about Pennsylvania since we're talking about taxes. <laughs> sure. Um, I don't either. We currently have, and I'm just going to, I'm going to check this link out. 
no PA vape tax dot com. Mm -hmm. Yep, there you go. No PA vape tax dot com okay. will take you to our current engagement. Um, and uh, this is uh, urging your senators and your representatives in Pennsylvania to co-sponsor the co-sponsor support memos from Senator Bartolotta and uh, Representative Jeff Wheeland. Mm -hmm. um, it's still in the co-sponsorship support memo stage. That's This is how Pennsylvania works. Um, but uh, yeah, this needs to move quickly. So um, everybody in Pennsylvania should be doing that. And, um, and hopefully uh, soon we should be seeing some more um, awareness in Pennsylvania uh, from from Casa. Uh, right. Yeah, we'll talk <laughs> about that next week. We'll see how that goes. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, so Pennsylvania. And uh, the last at the last count I heard, um, we have underreported in, you know, more than 100. It's like 120, 130 shops in Pennsylvania have closed. Right. That's outrageous. Mm-hmm. So, Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Pennsylvania. That, um, that tax they want to pass is it's a whopper. Yeah. And speaking of flavors, <laughs> <laughs> Contra Costa County, California. Um, let me see if I can get this notice up here. Um, it's been shared. Or, oh, wait, I know. It was, it was shared with us. And here. So Contra Costa County uh, is looking at, um, first of all, retailers would have to acquire a tobacco retail license. Right. And they are going to prohibit the sale of flavored non-cigarette tobacco products, including flavored vape liquids. I'm quoting oh, this from their thing. Um, oh, prohibition of the sale of menthol cigarettes within a thousand feet of schools. Uh, require a minimum pack size of 10 for little cigars. Um, new tobacco retailers will be prohibited from opening up within a thousand feet of schools, parks, playgrounds, and libraries. Um, 500 feet of existing tobaccos. That's a density regulation that they are so fond of in California. Um, I don't know. I guess sig prohibit new significant tobacco retailers, which I guess is more, I guess the... Like a retail the, shop? The human, the human way to say that is like, is a, is a vape shop or like a, <laughs> like a dedicated tobacco shop, right. a tobacconist. You know, they only sell tobacco products. They only sell vapor products. It's mm -hmm. only a hookah bar. It's not a significant tobacco retailer. <laughs> Made up science <laughs> terms. That's ridiculous. Um, so these are all proposed parts of this bill. And that's, as I understand it, where this is. Right. Um, it's still in draft form. Okay. Um, and I believe there was a hearing at one point um 
that uh, ended up getting rescheduled or, or something like that. Um, there was supposed to be a vote or that didn't happen. I don't know what it is, but they're still shopping this around the county. And uh, so anyway, if you're in Contra Costa County mm -hmm. and you want to go to a, um, I guess, a little get together <laughs> put on by Contra Costa Health Services to, to talk about this, um, you can do so Thursday, March 2nd from 1 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. It's great. They Sounds like a fun time. Yeah, they scheduled it on a work day in the middle of the day to maximize participation, I can only <laughs> assume. Yes. Um, so Thursday, March 2nd from 1 p.m. to 2.30 p.m., Contra Costa Public Health, 597 Center Avenue, Room 120 in Martinez, California. Nice. Yeah. That's, that uh, sounds like fun. You know, if you could uh, get there in time for your lunch, it sounds like you could have a, a, a lovely lunch time with the aunties from Costa, um, Costa Contra County. Contra Costa County. Yep. That you know, like fun. take the day off. Treat yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Take the day off and treat yourself to a couple hours of, of nanny state fun. Yeah. Yep. You, you can't get enough fist wagging and hand wringing. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's scintillating. Therapy. Fantastic. Absolute <laughs> therapy. Yeah. <sighs> <sighs> You know, what cracks me up is I know I laugh at a lot of these things. It's probably not really appropriate, but uh, this time, yeah, it seems like it's entirely appropriate. Um, and they always do this with the middle of the day thing and the middle of a work day, you know, when the majority of the planet is at work, it, it's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, I mean, smokers are, are typically lower income. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I mean, they're, they're not really, you know, it's not about getting input from them. It's about getting input from people that agree with you, which are, you know, people that can just kind of take off in the middle of the day on a Thursday and, um, or get paid for it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome for them. Yeah. Lots of fun. Um, so, Yeah. I kind of always thought, you know, they should offer the opportunity for public comment if they're going to do this stuff, but they never seem to do that. Well, legally they are well, by, you know by holding this little get together. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it this is something that, uh, yeah, it's just, hmm we're going to go down that rabbit hole of why everybody hates smokers. So it's, it's strategy. It's, it's, it's designed to keep people away, unfortunately. And, and they're the people it's affecting. So they're the ones who should um, be commenting the most. You know, they get the most to lose. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I guess, you know, at the end of the day, their argument, of course, that this is all about protecting the children. And so, you know, mom, mom is really the person they want to hear from. And, you know, the people they really want to hear from are the the probably un, unwitting neo-prohibitionists who are basically probably going to show up and be like, I know you want to ban flavors and all, but why don't we just ban everything? Like, <laughs> we should just do that. And that's the, that's the out-of-the-box thinking that they're expecting. Yeah. Um, you know, they're not interested in hearing a harm reduction argument true enough yeah sadly yeah so besides the wonderful gathering at contra costa county that's kind of all i have um there's a bunch of other stuff going on and not everything that that we our following is making its way into a call to action. And um, I, I would just, you know, point out that, you know, since, since all this started many, many moons ago, people have gotten active and there are state associations and, um, you know, these, these state industry groups have pooled their resources and gotten lobbyists. And so there's a lot of things happening behind the scenes that, um, are not things that that we report on regularly or would engage, you know, would 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 put a call to action out for. Um, and in fact, you know, I think Arizona is probably a good example of that. Um, you know, the 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 trade association there has has done good work behind the scenes to keep some bills at bay. And, uh, you know, even though I, and I put out a, a call to action for a tax bill and was quickly contacted to say that, uh, it was not necessary that we got this. So, um, <laughs> you know, and, uh, but you know, we are, we are mindful and, and more often than not, you know, I try to coordinate with people who are already, um, sitting in meetings and, and, you know, have boots on the ground there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so Yeah. yeah. That's that. But uh, if if I have if I have to have one final word, uh, support HR eleven thirty six. Perfect. Thank you, Alex, uh, for everything you do for us, and we will see you next Friday. I believe so. I don't think I'm traveling anywhere, so okay. next Friday it is. All right, we'll see you then. Have a good week. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. See ya. Okay, you can you can get Kasa's updates at kasa.org. Uh, you can get Kasa's updates from SoundCloud, um, and you can also get them on iTunes. So there's that. And I guess it's just you and me tonight, Barry. Looks like it, yeah. Yeah. Well, with me is the very best producer money can't buy. Barry! Yay! <laughs> yeah, look, so, the only reason I can't be bought is I'm a limited edition model and they <laughs> stopped making me in the 70s, and, you know. <laughs> One of a kind. Yeah. 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 Oh, God, it, it has been a week um, here in America. <laughs> in fact... Possibly the most interesting thing I read was this. I don't know if you can see what I'm pointing at. 
Border Patrol agents stop domestic travelers at New York Airport. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought we would go with that first. And then I would talk about why this really bothers me. A search for a deportation target leads to a demand for travelers' papers at JFK. Passengers of a domestic Delta flight from San Francisco to New York were told to show their identity documents to uniformed agents of the Customs and Border Protection Agency upon their arrival at JFK Airport Wednesday evening. CBP officers are border agents whose statutory authority is generally limited to international arrivals. CBP agents inspected passenger identification on the jet bridge by the door of the aircraft. A CBP spokesman insisted to Rolling Stone that this action is nothing new and there is no new policy. The unusual and legally questionable search of domestic travelers comes days after the Department of Homeland Security outlined its plans to implement President Trump's sweeping executive order targeting millions of removable aliens for deportation. Upon deplaning from Delta Flight 1583 in New York, passenger Ann Garrett tweeted, we're told we couldn't disembark without showing our documents. Another passenger, Matt O'Rourke, snapped a similar picture. O'Rourke tells Rolling Stone the Delta flight attendant alerted passengers, you'll need to show your papers to agents waiting outside the door. She was weirded out by it, he said. Uh, the agents, O'Rourke said, said nothing to him but took his ID and scrutinized it for nearly 30 seconds before letting him pass. He describes the experience as a little bit alarming. Only later did O'Rourke find himself asking, why is a customs agent doing this search? The flight didn't enter from another country. In a statement to Rolling Stone, a spokesperson for CBP said the agency had been asked to assist in locating an individual possibly aboard Delta Flight 1583 who had been ordered removed by an immigration judge. The spokesman added that the CBP agents requested identification from those on the flight, but that ultimately the individual was determined not to be on the flight. Rolling Stone asked CBP to point to its statutory authority to stop and examine the identity documents of deplaning domestic passengers. The spokesman sent a link for a document titled CBP Search Authority. This document refers to CBP's authority to inspect international arrivals. Specifically, it cites 19 CFR 12.6, which states all persons, all persons, baggage, and merchandise arriving in customs territory of the United States from places outside thereof are liable to inspection by a CBP officer. The CBP document adds CBP has the authority to collect passenger name record information on all travelers entering or leaving the United States. Entering or leaving the United States. Asked to clarify CBP's authority over domestic passengers, the spokesman replied that at this time, this is all I have. Rolling Stone asked CBP to clarify whether the CBP document search was truly a request or instead a legally binding demand by the agents. The spokesman, again, could not clarify CBP's legal authority, warning only it's always best to cooperate with law enforcement so as to expedite your exiting the airport in a timely manner. Rolling Stone asked the New York Civil Liberties Union for its understanding of the law in the incident. NYCLU staff attorney Jordan Wells writes that CBP does not have carte blanche to refuse to let people off domestic flights until they show ID. His advice, while one may choose to provide identity documents to avoid further hassle, it is important to remember that in the United States, people have a constitutionally protected right to remain silent. Um, do you do you, you know where I'm going with this? Why this bothers me? Uh, yeah, they they don't. Well, one, the agents don't know their own laws, uh, and two, they're IDing people they shouldn't. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's illegal. But yeah. 
the the times before that this was done in history, it was done as an intimidation tactic. Yeah. You know, um, and then that intimidation tactic just led to other things that I'm really uncomfortable with. But um, it, it reminds me of something George Carlin used to say. If you think you're free, go to Google and type in Japanese American 1942. Japanese American citizen 1938 to 42. Um, that's when the Japanese Americans were loaded up into internment camps. Um, and, and this was sort of um, something we did then too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody got to show their papers and then, you know, yeah, I'm just really uncomfortable with the, uh, I'm uncomfortable with the, the way we're going. I mean, and, it's also been a really interesting week in America. Um, well, yeah, so, I mean, today journalists were barred from the White House briefing. Huh. Did they expect any different? Um, was it CNN? It was CNN, BuzzFeed, ABC, basically everyone but Breitbart, Fox, <laughs> and a couple of others. Oh, yeah, nice. New York Times was banned. Washington Post was banned. Yep. I mean, your new free America. There you go. Well, I mean, if you want to talk about a corrupt system, I mean, you would have to talk about journalists. Um, just simply because journalism now basically exists to sell soap, right? So they're always following an agenda. Yeah. Um, and but I mean that's typical of everything. Um, I don't know. It, it just. It's ridiculous. What, what I was going to say is, I think what was shocking to me was last week. Remember last week when we got off the air and I said to you, holy shit, the seventh floor got fired? Yeah. Um, so, I, I guess I'll go back and say, uh, Rex Tillerson went in and fired the basically the seventh floor of the CIA. Um, you don't really do that. I know almost, well, I know maybe a little more about uh, American politics than most people, but um, you don't generally mess about the seventh floor. You've heard us talk about the deep state on here. Um, the seventh floor has kind of always been known as the deep state from the time of Kissinger onward. Um, that was the, the government inside the government, the shadow government, or at least a portion thereof. And so I was really excited to see that. I said, oh, my God, you know, the seventh floor got fired. This is great. That's actual swamp draining. And then we go with this nonsense with the, you know, papers, please. And this and I'm just very uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm uncomfortable with the whole thing. It's, um, it's an interesting time. <laughs> we live in interesting times. I will put it that way. Run, rinse, wind, run. <laughs> so I'm not really sure what to say about that um, except I don't know I, I think I don't know I have no idea uh, pick one Barry because that one just depressed the shit out of me uh, well there's nothing upbeat uh, I can't believe they banned butter uh, would be <laughs> I can't believe they banned butter. Um, 
There's if if you click the link at the bottom, there's a video report that'll autoplay. I don't know if it's autoplaying yet. Right. Yeah. So it's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting stuff. So, I mean, it's it's far more entertaining when somebody who has the budget <laughs> to do a news program can do one. Uh, it sounds, the sound quality is much better. It's much more polished and professional. And, and I think this is basically true. I, I think you would have a hard time finding falsehoods in this. I know. I'm trying to get it to play. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't like playing outside of America, apparently. So, I was... Uh... Oh, no, it's the Storm Chaser one at the bottom. The one at the top says autoplay on, but isn't playing. Okay. Well, uh, the, I was it's going to say. It's just show. Huh. I'm not seeing a video for it. Okay. Odd state law forces illegal butter off of store shelves, which, you know. <sighs> to the legion of fans who have taken to social media over the last year, Kerrygold Irish butter is a gift from the dairy gods and its disappearance from store shelves is nothing short of a tragic travesty. Jean Smith loves the butter so much she has a couple months stash squirreled away in her Wakusa fridge. It's a stockpile of butter she regularly buys in Nebraska and drives across state lines. You can do a taste test. You have to do a taste test and see, I guess, but it definitely has a different, richer taste than other butter does, Smith said. Smith is a daily drinker of so-called bulletproof tea. The recipe varies, but always involves blending butter into a cup of the steaming hot brew to start the day. When Smith makes her morning tea and her husband's bulletproof coffee, Kerry Gold is the butter of choice. It was until the self-styled pure Irish butter started vanishing from store shelves. I want to please ask whoever it is that's preventing me from getting butter in our stores here to stop it. To stop it, Smith said. Uh, the issue here is an obscure state law from the 1970s that requires all butter sold in Wisconsin to be tested by a panel of experts and issued a letter grade for quality. As a butter made in Ireland, Kerrygold is not graded in the U.S. Lisa Miller, the marketing director of Aruna, North America, the Irish dairy cooperative that markets Kerrygold butter in every U.S. state except Wisconsin. She said the company had no idea selling Kerrygold in Wisconsin was illegal until the state began contacting distributors about the law. A process of inspecting is a little bit different from the process here. The standards are universally very high, Miller said. For Wisconsin, not high enough. State statute spends eight spends pages detailing the steps needed to sell butter and the 32 different quality points on which it needs to be judged. Violating the butter law can result in fines upward of $1,000 or jail terms of six months. People like Jean Smith wonder what the law is really doing. Shielding shoppers from inferior butter are fending off foreign competitors from Wisconsin's dairy industry. I feel suspicious. Who are you really trying to protect here? Are you protecting the consumers? Are you protecting Wisconsin dairy? Smith asked. A spokesperson for the Dairy Business Association and Industry Lobbying Group did not return the request for comment. The state agency enforcing this law said they would only say what they already know. Okay, a representative of the Department of Agriculture, Trade, and Consumer Protection said Kerry Gold is making a conscious effort to follow the state law and adapt to Wisconsin requirements. 
Lisa Miller, confirmed a potential fix could be in the works. So we're working on some options that will meet requirements for the way the inspection process has to work, Miller said. Until Carrie Gold and the states work that out, Jane Smith will keep doing what she's been doing, driving to Nebraska to buy her beloved Carrie Gold by the carton. I just think it's a little goofy that this exists and I can get it in any other state that I travel to, and I'm hauling Carrie Gold back in my suitcase and in my cooler, she said. Bootleg butter. Bootleg butter. Well, I mean, whatever you make illegal, if people want it, they'll go and get it. I mean, it's kind of a law of the market. Oh, and uh, yeah, I know why the Irish butter tastes different, because Scottish butter and English butter would taste different as well, because the cows eat grass. (laughs) And that's it. They, they they make the milk into butter. That's it. No no, no additives. They aren't pumping yep. the cows full of steroids. Uh, they aren't using cattle gonna, feed. Well, Grass, we can get, milk, we can butter. Get, that's we, that's we, how it works. We can get Kerrygold here. And when I... I mean, I don't want to say vegetarian. I guess I eat proto-vegetarian. Mostly because I don't like what we do with our meat here in this country. Um, so I make a lot of my own veggie burgers and veggie loaves, you know, out of proper grains and beans and vegetables and eggs and breadcrumbs and, and all sorts of nice assorted things that make a really filling meal. You know, proper vegetarian food, not the frozen shit you buy. Um, and I, I really quite enjoy it. But when I'm going to make brownies, I don't package directions if you pick up a package of brownie mix tell you to put oil in it stuff uh, no 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 i know why would you put oil in brownies no no matter when i'm making brownies i always use Kerrygold. i always use the jersey milk to yeah. make it um i always use the very best chocolate i can buy uh <laughs> everything you know a proper heart attack biscuit yeah oh yeah I, I use eggs that are from free-range chickens. I, I'm really conscious about it. And it makes a better-tasting product. Yeah. Um, it I use, you know, it freaks people out. They're like, you put all that stuff in there. Yeah, why do you think it's so good? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, I've said to you before, uh, a lot of the American products you don't get over here because of differing yeah. laws. Uh, yeah. In the last year, some of the Betty Crocker stuff started to appear. You'll be unsurprised to learn the ingredients list is very different. different to the ones you'll be buying in the US. Oh, yeah. Because a lot of that's got down, down to the dairy stuff. Yeah. Yeah, well, dairy, dairy product in the USA is, would not class as a dairy product in Europe. Well, I mean, it's it difficult. I really would say I wish we had more Amish farmers around because you can get some real dairy from those people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, unlike... you, you just need the, the, the guy who's got the um, factory dairy farm. You know what <laughs> I mean? Where the, it's free-range yeah. cows, but it's a factory. Yeah. You need him yep. to be really successful, and that becomes <laughs> the standard. Because then that'll be all these steroids and feeds out of the way and you know well i mean but that was that was the standard when i was a kid yeah no your your cows were outside they were wandering around they you weren't giving them m&ms yeah you weren't having skittles and ice cream and shit 
chip to ca- Skittles and ice cream, for God's sake. I mean, <laughs> I'm always kind of like, so, that freaked me out. That one story about Skittles for cattle. I just, well, I remember when uh, Jamie Oliver was doing this thing on American School Food. Mm-hmm. And he was just going ape shit that instead of normal, natural milk, the only milk they had for the kids was Skim. like banana and strawberry and chocolate. And he's like, where's the milk? <laughs> where's the unflavored <laughs> The stuff that corn? ain't full of chemicals. Where's that? Well, and they're like, oh, we well, don't I mean, have that. Well, I mean, here's the thing. If you ask anybody from any other country how how they would describe American food, do you know what they all say? Sweet. Yeah. It's it is. It's our food is is. Your e-liquids that sweet. way as well. <laughs> I can't say anything. I I like a proper British custard. Uh, if I'm. Oh, British custard's I... sweet, but then it's a dessert that you're only eat sparingly. So yeah. right. Well, I'm just saying that's what I like to bake is proper British custard flavor. But all um, right, a uh, e-liquid flavor. Yeah, they're quite. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, they're and it's supposed sweet. to be sweet. Custard is sweet. Mm-hmm. Yes, but you know, if you, if you uh, want less sweet, it's blancmange. Hmm. Now they make some places make a nice flan flavor. Yeah, which is is also a nice. It, it's nice. It has hints of like caramel and cream in it, you know. But it also has the little bite of the cinnamon, which uh, takes away from that ever so sweet flavor. Um, I will say I hate the reformulated custard when you exhale. It smells, <laughs> and I think I've talked about this before. Where I grew up, um, we had a septic system because it was the fucking country, <clears throat> and that was how you dealt with your sewage. Big tank, we, don't fall in it. Yeah, yeah, big big tank, concrete cover over it. You know, don't fall in with the animals, <laughs> basically. You, you will, you know, you'll be getting shots for a hundred years. You're not like, uh, you know, everybody's great grandparents that swam in New York Harbor with all the sewage floating by. You're not made of hardy stuff like that. So you won't survive a trip in the septic tank. But, um, so that was how our, our sewage was dealt with. But we also had weeping willow trees. You know anything about willow trees, Barry? Uh, some, yeah. They love water. It doesn't matter what kind of water, they'll go after it. And um, we had them break through our septic system. Oh, that's and never good. Suck out all the water. So um, we had to rebuild it. And every year we had to have the um, septic people come out and grind the roots out of there so that we could, you know, fix the septic system. I can't remember it, what it is, but there's, an, there's, a, there's a, a perennial bush or something you can plant next to things that'll put the willow off, putting ah. shoots in that direction. can't remember what it is. One of my see, great I, uncles was a gardener in a royal see, garden. So yeah. See, I, I wish we had known about that. Yeah, we didn't. I mean, we were companion planters, though, you know, basil with tomatoes. And, yeah. You know. I take it the willow know. trees were kind of big. After this. They were gigantic. <laughs> but anyway, um, so when he he would have to go and drill the freaking roots out and yeah. he would drill them out and the roots smelled like wood and pee. And <laughs> yeah. here's here's my point. When I'm going 
to vape and I exhale a proper custard flavor. Now that they've reformulated everything to get rid of the diacetyl or the diacetyl, it has that fucking horrible stench on the exhale of pee and wood. That's all I can smell. <laughs> Your sense so, of smell is the strongest memory trigger. So, yeah. Oh, yes, it is. So, yeah, that's that's a fun memory from my childhood, I guess. Have you tried Creed's Custard yet? Mm-mm. That's a no UK way. one. But I okay. believe One Stop might have it. Oh, that sounds good. She's got some of the ones from the UK. Yeah. Haven't checked. I know some people over your way have got hold of it, so I assume they're getting it from somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, anyway, so, um, like I said, I, I really like vaping that, but because um, the exhale is so nasty, I've switched to um, <laughs> blueberry pie flavor, which is not so sweet, which is pretty good. I, I like um, One Stop's Blue Note to make my own blueberry pie with. Yeah, I like uh, the one-stop blue raspberry slush. I've never had that. All right. I don't. That's too. That's too sweet to me. That's way too sweet. Um, yeah, it's not as sweet when you put as much nicotine in liquid as I do. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet that makes a difference. It does. So, yeah. Um, let me see. I guess I'll pick this one. Uh, Germany. They've always been kind of ahead of the curve on privacy, I think, don't you? Almost most of Europe, yeah, that we, we don't like people sticking their nose in where it's not mm. wanted. Right. So German regulators urge parents to destroy Wi Fi connected dolls over surveillance fears. From the Barbie Needs a New Firewall Department. And that's from Tech Dirt, by the way, and I'm going to talk about Tech Dirt in a couple of minutes. Uh, for a while now, we've discussed how your children's toys are quickly becoming the latest and greatest privacy threat, courtesy of a cryptic or half-cocked privacy policy, and the treatment of device security as an afterthought, rather than part and parcel, now for the privacy dumpster fire that is the internet of not-so-smart-things era. Numerous privacy groups have complained that smart Barbies and other toys not only now hoover up and monetize children's prattle, but leave the door open to the devices being used nefariously by third parties. The problems accumulated in a lawsuit last December here in the States against Genesis Toys, maker of smart toys like my friend Kayla Doll and the IQ Intelligent Robot. The lawsuit accuses the company of violating COPPA, the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act of 1998, by failing to adequately inform parents that their kids' conversations and personal data collected by the toys, are being shipped off to servers and third-party companies. The privacy policy for the toys does warn users that companies like Nuance Communications, which, by the way, is also a government defense contractor, will receive this data for analysis. Why? Very, does that strike you as odd? Just a little. Yeah, I... I have a real problem with children's, you know banter being sent off to, you know, a defense contractor. Okay. Uh, We may use the information that we collect for our internal purposes to develop, tune, enhance, and improve products and services and for advertising and marketing consistent with this privacy policy. It continues. 
If you are under 18 or otherwise would be required to have a parent or guardian consent to share information with Nuance, you should not send any information about yourself to us. The lawsuit alleges the toys are violating COPPA because they're marketed to ages 4 and up and being mostly used by kids under 18. Under COPPA, companies gathering kids' data have to provide notice to and obtain consent from parents and <laughs> regarding data collection. They also have to provide parents tools to access, review, and delete this data if wanted, as well as the parental ability to dictate that the data can be collected but not shared with third parties. The complaint suggests neither Nuance nor Genesis Toys are doing any of this. But Genesis is also under fire for the fact that toys just aren't all that secure. A report by the Norwegian Consumer Council found that a lot of data being transmitted by these toys is done so via vanilla unencrypted HTTP connections that could be subject to man-in-the-middle attacks. While Genesis faces a lawsuit here in the States, the FTC has yet to act against the company. Overseas, however, German regulators are taking a different tack and urging parents to destroy the data-collecting dolls entirely. An official watchdog in Germany has told parents to destroy a talking doll called Kayla because the smart technology can reveal personal data. The warning was issued by the federal network agency Bundesdauter, <clears throat> which oversees telecommunications. Researchers say hackers can use an unsecured Bluetooth device embedded into the toy to listen and talk to the child playing with it. As it stands, German regulators say that a Bluetooth-enabled device could connect to Kayla's speaker and microphone system within a radius of 33 feet. As a result, the doll is effectively treated as a concealed transmitting device, illegal under an article in German telecom law. A spokesman for the federal network agency said it doesn't really matter what shape the device took. It could be an ashtray or a fire alarm, and it would still be illegal. While demanding destruction of the dolls may be overkill, it's just another example of how privacy and security apathy continue to haunt the Internet of Things space. So, what was disturbing in 1984-ish about that? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, they are kind of over-egging. Nuance were dealing with communication stuff long before they got any government contracts anywhere. Yeah, but they're still... Used to do, you know, um, voice translation software and all that kind of stuff so yeah well, i'm sure they did i'm just saying i i don't know i would be uncomfortable with if i had a child um a defense subcontractor having any sort of information about them you know more than more than they already have you know as we know what uh, what edward snowden said they, they um, are currently selling those dolls in the uk but if Germany bans them, I uh, don't know what will happen here. What with yeah. Brexit and everything. But, yeah. Yeah, but you guys are pretty... You've got... I bet, I bet got... in the UK they've probably got something in terms and conditions. Maybe. Purchase of this means you agree to blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Possibly. And, of course, the Germans have pointed out that, no, that's not active consent. Oh, yeah. That's probably I mean, what's going on there. I think so. I mean, I don't know. I, I just... There's two versions. There's a normal Kayla and there's Princess Kayla. Ah, I did not know that. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have kids, so 
No, I've got cats and I went and looked people. at the website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I guess to be fair, then even Dragon Tech would be pretty bad. Dragon Tech software would be pretty bad to have as well. Yeah. I don't know if anybody's ever looked at the privacy concerns for that, but that transmits your data other places you don't, might not want it to go. Well, most most of this, the voice recognition stuff, it now relies on cloud-based systems, so yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I just have a problem with it. Um, but I was going to say, I, I was going to talk about TechDirt, and let me grab something here. Because they're, I, I'm trying to describe what's going on with TechDirt, and I don't know any really good way to do it. Um, but they're being sued, <laughs> and they're being sued for something really stupid. I mean, you know how TechDirt really breaks everything down and rips it apart so yeah. that anybody can understand what's going on in the space, right? I mean. Anybody can read Tector and you get an idea about what's going on and you can understand it. And Tector, it's like one guy. I think most people don't know that. Tector is just one guy who's just blogging this stuff. And he's doing a fantastic job, but he um, criticized someone who said they invented uh, email, you know, which they did not do. No, um, I believe that was, uh, that was some, someone in the... U.S. military, originally. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. He, he did do some work on the email system we have with our inboxes. But he did not invent email. But he goes around and tells everybody he invented email. And this guy is suing him. But he's being backed by the guy who sued Gawker. All right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, the guy who helped Hulk, Hulk, Hulk Hogan shut down that whole magazine there. Yeah. That lawsuit is being backed by the person that backed the Hulk Hogan lawsuit. So they're kind of fucked. Um, so I've been, you know, donating and, and telling people to support TechDirt because it's kind of important. It's nice to have somebody who breaks it down. Yeah. In, in the space for, like, I like technology. I don't fully understand it all, but I love to read Ars Technica is very technical a lot of the time. You know, um, wired. <laughs> oh, God. Um, what can I say about wired? Uh, I wish wired didn't have as much adware um, attached to their stories. It makes it really difficult for me to share it with people. Um, and it makes me feel dirty when I do. When they cover something really, really good and I want to share it with people... Um, I don't want to share something with people that they're going to have to go through and completely clean their system after reading like I do. Um, so I tend not to share a lot of their stuff anymore. Um, but those are, are some of the really good, um, publications, online publications that cover technology and just wired just makes me sad. Just like Forbes does now. Forbes used to be much better and now. You know, they won't let you read something unless you allow tracking, which sucks so much. Because <laughs> um, 
because they have some really good stuff there. Um, they have a lot of really good stories about tobacco harm reduction and the like. And I don't know. Oh, I um, I did try to tell one of my friends last night who uses a VPN because they live in a foreign country. Um, you know, you, you really got to get away from Tor. She's like, is there anything else out there? I'm like, yeah, I'll get you some names after, uh, after my podcast. I'll give you some mm, links. I2P. Yeah, yes. exactly. I'm like, you really don't want to use Tor. I mean, I, I, I kind of can't stress enough um, how deep the government has its hooks in Tor. I mean, they fucking invented it. Um, so that should give you a clue. But it, what kills me is all these people who are privacy-minded people, or are people I think are privacy-minded people, people like Glenn Greenwald, people like Ed Snowden, um, you know, they keep talking about using Tor, and it's like, it's like the worst idea. You know? Uh, and especially now, that what is it? The FBI is, like, reading all the old tour mail stuff and sending it to um, uh, the FBI is sharing sees tour mail data with the DEA. Yeah. It's kind of not a good thing at all. <laughs> it's really bad. So yeah. I two. So I two P. Yeah. You know, it, um, is definitely the way to go. <laughs> Anything that gets you away from tour is a good idea. And and I'm no expert, but uh, anything the CIA isn't involved in the creation of, it's probably better for you to be involved in it. The one thing about I2P, it can sometimes take two or three minutes to start because <laughs> mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's setting up the... Yeah, encryption. Yeah, well. And it works kind of like a torrent service. Okay. To keep its speed up. That's another reason why it takes a few minutes to start. Because it's connecting right. with other people's computers to route the right. data. So, mm -hmm. yeah. But it's, that, that means it's very, very secure. Um, yep. That's always a good thing. I mean, Because nobody's, sure. none of these other people's computers gets all the data. Yeah. <laughs> So even if one of those is the FBI or the NSA, they're only going to be getting like 2% of the information. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I, I guess it's semantics. Yeah. But anything the government's got its fingers in, I want nothing to do with. Not a big shock knowing me, right? <laughs> <laughs> so there's that. Um... Let's see. This is kind of interesting. Um, so, you know, we had a bitch of a time using our own cable modem. Because we can't, we couldn't get internet here. We're in a weird part of town where we're on this one street where the only phone service anybody could get. And I don't need it for me. I have the cell phone. But and I've elderly people here and they need access to 911 when I'm not around you know what I mean so you know we kind of need a way for them to dial out for my services um, but the only way I could get phone was to get it through cable and we had a hell of a time 
trying to get our own modem. And I'm looking at it, I'm going, just spend the $85, $90 and buy it outright because look at this. It's a $10 charge every month for this fucking modem. So it was nice to see I was not the only person who had this freaking fight with their cable company. Although I believe this is um, Charter Communications um, <clears throat> or Armstrong. So it, it's it's a different place and a different company altogether, but the story remains the same. The song remains the same, to quote Led Zeppelin. Okay. One man's losing fight to use his own cable modem. Cable company prevents use of third-party modem despite FCC rule. Because, you know, we don't have to follow the law if we don't want to, apparently. Last year, Charter was punished by the Federal Communications Commission because it spent two years preventing customers from using their own modems. As a result, the nation's second biggest cable company must now follow a shortened testing procedure to verify third-party modems and file compliance reports every six months detailing its efforts to let customers attach their own modems to its network. The company has also had to pay uh, yeah, $640,000 fine. The FCC's rules are clear. Cable companies must let customers use their own equipment, including modems, unless it isn't compatible with the network or unless it would cause some kind of harm or was designed to let customers obtain services they didn't pay for. But if you're a company, uh, customer of a company that simply refuses to let you use a third-party modem, getting what you want is not easy. Albert Davis of Crown City, Ohio, is a customer of Armstrong, a much smaller cable company with about 800,000 subscribers. He owns a Motorola Atris Surfboard SB6121 modem that he'd like to use instead of the Aris CM820 supplied by Armstrong, but the cable company won't allow it, despite offering no proof it would harm the network or be incompatible. The surfboard is DOCSIS 3.0 device, certified by Cable Labs, the Cable Industry Equipment Testing Body. Davis complained to the FCC about the modem issue and data caps months ago without making any progress, and more recently contacted Ars Technica. The market should decide what modems will be used, not the Monopoly ISP, Davis told Ars. Unlike some other cable companies, Armstrong doesn't charge a modem rental fee. One could argue this means customers get the necessary equipment without paying extra. But you could also argue that the policy prevents customers from saving money by using their own equipment. Davis previously used a surfboard modem with Suddenlink, another ISP, allowing him to save $5 a month. He switched to Armstrong when he moved to Crown City in August 2015. I think Armstrong should charge customers less for not using Armstrong equipment, Davis said. I believe by claiming it's free, even though customers are charged if the modem is not returned and not billing separately for the rental, Armstrong is trying to circumvent the FCC rule permitting consumers to use their own modems and minimize the FCC complaints. Armstrong does permit use of third-party wireless routers, and Davis uses his own router in order to avoid a $5 per month rental fee. Armstrong's advertised broadband prices range from $30 to $150 a month for a download-upload speed, ranging from 4 megabytes (laughs) or down 1 up to 300 up 20 down. Uh, Armstrong poses a 200 gigabyte monthly data cap on internet only customers who subscribe to the lower speed tiers and charges $10 for each additional 50 gigabyte allotment. This is much more restrictive than the one terabyte cap used by Comcast and some other providers. Armstrong imposes its lowest data caps on internet customers, but also subscribe to the TV service, making it harder to replace cable 
with online streaming. Uh, Davis's family uses online streaming instead of cable, but watches video judiciously to avoid overcharges. We've disabled any streaming service on our children's TVs and on tablets used by the kids, Davis said. We both watch Netflix and Hulu in the lowest possible quality settings in order to use less data. Armstrong declines to answer questions. Armstrong has certified only three modems for residential use and doesn't allow customers to connect any others to its network. We sent Armstrong a list of questions about its modem testing process and asked the company to explain why its policy does not violate the FCC rule that comparable third-party modems must be allowed unless they cause electronic or physical harm to the network or could be used for an authorized receipt of some service. One of the questions we asked Armstrong includes why it can't support any modem that uses the same version of DOCSIS as its cable system. RCM, for example, gives customers instructions on how to avoid monthly rental charges. Instead of allowing only a specific router, RCN tells customer to get just about any modem supporting the DOCSIS 3.0 standard. We asked why Davis's specific modem isn't allowed. Armstrong declined to answer any of our questions and instead provided a general statement. As a regional privately held provider, Armstrong, as a matter of policy, does not comment in the press regarding either customer issues or company regulatory policy. Armstrong VP of Cable Marketing, David Wolcom, told ours. As a general statement, Armstrong is immensely proud of our zero dollar, I'm sorry, 50 year track record of providing excellent award winning customer care and our unflinching compliance with all federal, state, and local regulations. With respect to our customer, we look forward to addressing his needs directly with him should he choose to contact us regarding this or any other broadband related matter. Davis did contact Armstrong about this issue. He provided ours with screenshots from his chat with a customer service representative. Rep told Davis, we normally discourage customers from purchasing their own modem since many of them are not compatible with our network. Armstrong is not able to support your brand of modem. The rep also said while noting that Armstrong supports a few other DOCSIS 3.0 modems from Eris and Harton. Um, customers must use Armstrong's modem. Davis also provided us Armstrong's official response to his FCC complaints from back in April and June of 2016. Mr. Davis mentions in his complaint that Armstrong refused to let to install his combination modem slash router when connecting the service. Armstrong's policy permits its customers to use their own router. However, customers must use Armstrong's modem, which is provided for charge. Armstrong complaints team wrote to the FCC and Davis in the April letter. That is not totally correct, since Armstrong does allow three models of modem that customers can purchase on their own. The next letter from Armstrong in June said that an Armstrong executive told Davis that he may indeed install non-harmful retail cable modem hardware consistent with FCC rules, provided no evidence that Davis's modem would harm the network. The letter said that Armstrong believes the complaint has been resolved. On the data cap issue, Armstrong points to an FCC statement calling data caps a reasonable bandwidth management tool and noted that it is following practice used by larger ISPs. Many of the larger internet service providers in the country have established such limits in the past years, and such policies are rapidly becoming industry standard, Armstrong wrote. An FCC spokesperson declined to comment on whether Armstrong is violating any rules. Modem makes maker pay cable companies for testing. Charter's punishment by the FCC came in response to a complaint from modem maker Zoom Telephonics. Davis recently contacted Zoom CEO Frank Mar Manning about Armstrong, and Manning told Davis that he'd try to help and forward the information to the appropriate FCC officials. 
Blocking customer modems is very much against the intent of Section 629 of the Communications Act, which was to encourage an open retail market. In my view, barring customers from using suitably certified customer-supplied modems violates Section 629, Manning told ARS. Former FCC Chairman Tom Wheeler cited Section 629 requirements when he tried to impose rules making it easier for cable TV customers to avoid set-top box rental fees. But he wasn't able to get the controversial idea passed before the presidential election. The new chairman, Ajit Pai, a Republican, took the plan off the table. While Zoom put significant resources into fighting charter over modem attachments, it isn't planning a similar battle against Armstrong. Many believes that small cable companies should be expected to follow the rules just like big companies, but there's a greater return on investment from fighting big cable companies like Charter than a much smaller one like Armstrong, he said. I think it's a question of whether it's worth the energy to fight Armstrong. Zoom still believes that Charter should charge a separate modem fee so customers can save money by using their own equipment. The FCC considered making this requirement last year, but decided not to do so. We spent a lot of money in opposing charter to get to where we are now and some of the things we asked for we still don't have Manning said. While individual consumers like Davis can file an FCC complaint Manning said it's tough for a single person to get a major issue resolved at the commission. He fears that enforcement may become lax under new Republican administration. An FCC spokesperson told ours that the consumer complaints can trigger investigations. The testing that some cable equipment companies do to make sure that their modems are compatible with their networks is quite extensive, and Zoom pays cable labs, Comcast, and other cable companies to go through their testing, Manning said. Zoom clashed with Comcast over modem attachments years ago, but the companies agreed to a settlement in 2011. Comcast has been great to work with ever since then, Manning said. We very much like the way they approached the market, and Time Warner Cable was similar before Charter bought them, Manning said. Service providers need to follow the law. Comcast provides customers with instructions on selecting the third-party modem and activating the device. It's not only giant cable companies that do this. RCN encourages third-party modems. As we mentioned earlier, and a small cable company called Blue Ridge tells its customers that most DOCSIS 2.0 and 3.0 cable modem routers should function on its network. Manning hasn't studied the Armstrong case closely, but noted that some cable companies simply allow just about any cable app approved modem. Cable Lab certification involved very expensive and extensive testing that typically takes months, he said. We think it's an important issue, Manning said. Service providers need to follow the law, and the FCC needs to enforce it. Yeah, part of this is the FCC's lazy. Um, <laughs> issues like this cropped up in the UK when broadband started getting popular, mm-hmm. and our regulator here responded by... Uh, the fines in the UK for these companies are charged by the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, suffice to say, most of the companies pretty quickly sorted out any problems. I bet. Because, yeah. you know, it's like, uh, oh, you're you're doing something wrong with that customer's uh, service. That'll be a fine of £500 a day. <laughs> It's yeah, the regulator how, over here is kind of strict. Um, it's amazing how f- quickly that stuff gets fixed. I mean, the only yeah. company that um, ignored the regulator for quite some time was British Telecom, funnily enough. Um, laws got passed breaking British Telecom's monopoly. Um, it meant that third-party companies were supposed to be able to be allowed to go into the telephone exchanges and install equipment, you know, etc. 
basically right. link into the system. And BT was refusing to do this. They were no. getting charged something like £100,000 a day for three years before they finally yeah. started let other companies in. You know, I mean, it's really, it's it's kind of strange. Shows you how much money's in the business, though. Yeah, there is there's a lot of money. Um, here's all I wanted to say. Um, I think people can remember a couple of years ago when I I talked about this the data caps and stuff that were going to start happening if we didn't really support what Tom Wheeler wanted to do with the internet. Yeah. And a lot of people told me I was crazy. I mean, I'm not a fan of government interference. I think the free market can do stuff better, but this was an option to let everybody compete on a really level playing field. The internet was like the last place where that was possible. And now they're going to charge people up the wazoo for stuff and drive people back because people were um, unplugging their cable. You know what I mean? Just basically yeah. going through it. This is going to drive people back to cable. And I mean, that's exactly what it's intended to do. That's exactly the intent behind this to drive people back to, you know, network TV and cable instead of third party things like Netflix and, and Hulu and other streaming services, which is kind of a shame. Um, because yeah, and it's the, the big net. Yeah, the big networks are way too late. Because, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, look how big the streaming companies have got. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mean, I just think economically it's going to be... This will be something to watch. This will be something to watch. Well, yeah, because you, you just sit and watch the fight because you don't have any TV programs to watch. Uh, <laughs> while they fight it out. Okay, you know, I, I pay for you know, actually pretty high streaming speed here. Um, you know, there's no way my husband could be, you know, playing fucking Halo on the Xbox right now. Halo, no? Um, what the hell is this? Um, what's the one? Battlefield 1. No, it's not Battlefield 1. I wish it were Battlefield 1. No, this is the one where it's kind of like another planet and they have sirens and, and all these other kind of peoples like these crazy mutant things that uh, fight with people I forget what the name you're, you're describing about 10 dozen yeah. games uh, with that description <laughs> um well it, uh, overwatch no uh, yeah now i have to go borderlands Borderlands, yeah, actually, he actually is playing Borderlands. Yeah, the sirens gave the uh, gave it away. Yeah, so he's playing Borderlands. He wouldn't be able to play Borderlands, and I wouldn't be able to do this broadcast if I didn't pay out the nose for a decent amount of streaming speed. And yet, you have ten times the amount of streaming speed I do. And I don't have a cop either. <laughs> upload, yeah. I mean. What is ridiculous is in this country, we have less well-working broadband than similar third-world countries. Third-world countries have better broadband and streaming speed and you know, fiber optic networks. They have better infrastructure system. 
than we do in America. If it makes you feel any better in five or six it's... years, I'll, I'll, I'll possibly be on full fiber. <laughs> That's great. 300, so, like... 300 down, 100 up, you know. So basically, I'll be dead when we get it here. <laughs> well, it's only because so. the, the council where I live, the council that controls the region I'm in, has, right. been, uh, has done a deal with British Telecom. Pushing mm -hmm. for them to get fiber everywhere in the Sterling area. Partly mm -hmm. that's due to there are a few high tech companies in the area, uh, and initially it'll just be for businesses, but it'll eventually roll out to homes as well. Because God, <laughs> the bandwidth on fiber optics massive. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of where we are. And like I said, I am not a fan of government enforced regulation. I just knew this was going to be something to watch. And it is going to be something to watch indeed. That I pretty much know. Okay. Uh, pick one, Barry, because there's so many fun ones to pick from. Oh, <laughs> let's go to the ATF because government agencies are always fun. Oh, they are indeed fun. This is one of my favorite stories. And it's one of the few that the New York Times has released that I've been able to verify each and every piece of. So, here we go. ATF filled secret bank accounts with millions of dollars from shadowy cigarette sales. I know, it's a shock, right? Because the government doesn't do things like that. But uh, here we go. Washington. Working from an office suite behind a Burger King in Southern Virginia, operatives used a web of shadowy cigarette sales to funnel tens of millions of dollars into a secret bank account. They weren't known smugglers, but rather agents from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. No conflict of interest there. The operation, not authorized under Justice Department rules, gave agents an off-the-books way to finance undercover investigations and pay informants without the usual cumbersome paperwork and close oversight, according to court records and people close to the operation. The secret account is at the heart of the federal racketeering lawsuit bought by a collective of tobacco farmers who say they were swindled out of $24 million. A pair of ATF informants received at least $1 million each from that sum record show. The scheme relied on phony shipments of snack food disguised as tobacco. The agents were experts. Their job was to catch cigarette smugglers, so they knew exactly how it was done. Uh, between investigating and being complicit in it. Uh, after the New York Times began asking about the operation last summer, the Justice Department disclosed to the Department's Inspector General Office, which is investigating. The Inspector General expressed serious concerns court records show. It's unclear how broadly the ATF adopted this practice and at what level it was approved and whether it continues. Nearly all references to the ATF have been blacked out of public court records, and most documents are entirely sealed. The investigation and the looming racketeering trial will bring renewed scrutiny to the ATF, which has been buffeted in recent years by the botched gun tracking operation known as Fast and Furious and its mismanagement of undercover investigations. Representative Jason Chavez, whose House Oversight Committee investigated the Fast and the Furious, asked the ATF on Wednesday four reams of documents related to the secret tobacco account. Members of Congress, particularly Republicans, 
have heaped criticism on the agency for decades, and the National Rifle Association has lobbied to limit the agency's authority and funding. All government auditors have previously cited problems with the ATF's tobacco investigations. This operation went beyond what was identified in that audit released in 2013. The ATF and the Justice Department declined to comment. Documents in the racketeering lawsuit outline the ATF operation. The tobacco cooperative is suing a former employee and its consultant, who, according to court documents, both worked as ATF informants. The informants have denied all wrongdoing. Part of their defense records show is that they acted on behalf of the government. In response, a judge recently added the United States of government, United States government, as a defendant. Since last summer, the Times has fought to make all the documents public, but the Justice Department has argued successfully in court to keep them secret. Critical details, however, have been revealed through poor redaction, documents that were filed publicly by mistake, and the sheer difficulty of keeping so much a secret for so long. Buying into an operation. In the spring of 2011, U.S. Tobacco Cooperative was looking to expand its distribution network. The co-op, which is made up of about 700 tobacco farmers from Virginia to Florida, who pool their crops and share the profits. Based in Raleigh, North Carolina, the company is a major exporter to China and produces discount brand cigarettes, including Wild Horse Traffic in 1839. These are really, really good people, said Stuart D. Thompson, the cooperative's chief executive. Every year, they take all their chips they put them on the table, and they hope they get them all back. The company began negotiating to buy tobacco from a distributor in Bristol, Virginia, uh, Big South Wholesale. Big South's owners, Jason Carpenter and Christopher Small, had a network of customers and owned a warehouse. They also had an existing secret relationship with the ATF record show. The two men have filed court documents acknowledging participation in undercover law enforcement activities and a judge-sealed order, which is publicly available online, revealed that the two men worked on behalf of various government agencies, primarily the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. Jason Carpenter and Christopher Soule, who owned Big South Wholesale in Virginia, have acknowledged participating in undercover law enforcement operations. The basics of cigarette smuggling are simple. Each state sets its own tobacco taxes. Buying cigarettes in low-tax states, like Virginia, and secretly selling them in higher-tax states, like New York, generate large profits. Okay, I mean, that's simple, right? More complicated schemes have shipped cigarettes to Indian reservations, where they are not taxed, and then rerouted them for sale on the black market. ATF agents try to disrupt these networks. Often that means working with informants to buy and sell tobacco on the black market, much the way agents pose as drug dealers to investigate cartels. Because so much of the case remains sealed, Mr. Carpenter and Mr. Small are prohibited from answering questions about nearly every aspect of the case. Everything that we did is now being attacked in litigation we did in good faith, they said in a statement. Exactly who U.S. Tobacco knew about their ATF ties and what they knew are a matter of dispute. But there are signs Big South was not a simple tobacco distributor. Its assets included more than two dozen vehicles, including an expensive SUV and a fleet of Mercedes, BMWs, Audis, Lexuses, and Jaguar sports cars. Early 2011 was a time of intense pressure inside the ATF. The agency was under fire from Congress over the Fast and the Furious operation, in which agents allowed gun traffickers to buy weapons and ship them to Mexico, hoping the shipments could lead to major weapons dealers. Justice Department auditors began scrutinizing how the ATF agents managed their tobacco smuggling investigations. With that audit continuing, the ATF issued new rules to tightly monitor undercover investigations. 
Soon after those rules went into effect, U.S. Tobacco completed its purchase of Big South for $5.5 billion, a deal that gave Big South the authority to buy and sell cigarettes on behalf of the cooperative. Almost immediately, the farmers say, Mr. Carpenter and Mr. Small began defrauding them. It worked like this. An exporting company working with the ATF placed an order for cigarettes to be shipped internationally, thus not subject to American taxes. Big South would instead ship bottled water and potato chips, making it look as if cigarettes had been exported. Mr. Carpenter and Mr. Small would then buy the tobacco at a slight markup through a private bank account. Lastly, they would sell the tobacco to Big South again at a markup. Because they had the authority to buy on behalf of the tobacco cooperative, Carpenter and Small simply sold products to themselves, the farmers wrote in court documents. All these transactions occurred on paper. The cigarettes never left the Virginia warehouse. It's what I saw with my own eyes, said Brandon Moore, the warehouse manager, and one of the people who discussed the transactions in the case. Their accounts fit with descriptions and court records. Mr. Moore said he was aware that the ATF operation, but became troubled by it as he learned more. It shouldn't be going on, even if it is the ATF, he said. In one deal described in the lawsuit, the informants bought tobacco at $15 a carton and sold it to U.S. Tobacco at $17.50. The profit of about $519,000 went into what was known as a management account. That account, while controlled by Mr. Carpenter and Mr. Small, helped pay for ATF investigations. Mr. Moore, the warehouse manager, said agents often told him what to buy on the company credit cards. For instance, he recalled spending tens of thousands of dollars at Best Buy on iPads, televisions, and other gifts to curry favor with potential criminal targets. Mr. Carpenter and Mr. Small have also acknowledged in court documents receiving more than $1 million each, even though it is not clear from public documents whether that was profit or reimbursement for expenses paid on behalf of the government. How that arrangement began is unclear. Ryan Kay, an ATF supervisor, testified that the management account was created as a result of verbal directives from the ATF program office and other headquarter officials. Mr. Kay's full statement is sealed, but excerpts are cited in one publicly available document. The defendants in the lawsuit contend that U.S. Tobacco got a good deal on the cigarettes, even at the prices they paid. The farmers tell a different story, saying they never would have purchased from Big South if they understood that Mr. Carpenter and Mr. Small had a side arrangement that involved selling them tobacco at inflated values. Thomas Linsnack, a retired ATF agent who was involved in the operation, dismissed suggestions that anything was done improperly. He said he could not discuss the Big South because the Justice Department was still conducting investigations based on information developed during the operations based at the warehouse. The arrangement began to break down in 2012 when Mr. Thompson joined U.S. Tobacco as the chief financial officer. He was curious why his warehouse was placing so many orders for a brand of cigarettes <coughs> that competes against U.S. tobacco. He could not get a straight answer, the company said in court documents. In March 2013, Mr. Moore picked up the phone, called Mr. Thompson, and explained what was happening. I did what I did because of the ethics of it, Mr. Moore said recently. What was happening there was wrong. Once U.S. Tobacco discovered the bookkeeping irregularities, it reported them to the Justice Department, which investigates white-collar crime and government misconduct. Records show the Justice Department, which includes the ATF, investigated some aspects of the case, but no charges were filed. We voted unanimously to give everything we had to the government, said Charlie Bratton, a U.S. Tobacco board member whose family had worked in the same North Carolina soil for generations. We thought they would take it and run with it. What happened was they fought us tooth and nail. Because of the sealing order, Mr. Thompson, Mr. Batten, and others are prohibited from discussing what happened to the money, even with their own farmers. Three years later, into its lawsuit, U.S. Tobacco still cannot disentangle itself from the government. 
The cooperative recently told the judge it was under investigation by the Treasury Department. All those t secret tobacco deals, it turns out, should have been taxed. And the government wants its money. Yeah, and that's the only reason the investigation's going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, exactly I mean, they had, they had to start in on the tobacco market because, you know, the CIA, mm -hmm. allegedly, uh, markets, you know, the cocaine and heroin. So, you know. <laughs> well, see, ATF should have just built itself as a fucking superstore. And, you know, we would have been right where we needed to be. Your alcohol, tobacco, and firearm superstore. Come on down and get you some. All right. So, yeah. Government corruption. It's shocking, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm going to go here, I think. With sales depressed by soda tax, Philly grocers look to cut jobs as mayor blames greedy soda industry. Ugh. Oh, taxes. One of the city's largest beverage distributors is planning to cut 20% of its workforce. Grocery stores across the city are also planning to shed jobs. It's one of those basic laws of economics. When you tax something, you get less of it. Philadelphia is getting a crash course on what this looks like. A little less than two months after the city imposed a new tax on sugary drinks, sales of those beverages are down, way, way down, and revenue collections are too. It's hard to have much sympathy for the city, which probably deserves to come up short on the revenue side as punishment for implementing <coughs> sorry, such an obviously misguided policy. Unfortunately, the soda tax is doing more than just wrecking Mayor Jim Kelly's budget projections. It's also going to cost some Philadelphia residents their jobs. One of the city's largest beverage distributors is planning to cut 20% of its workforce, Philly.com reports, and grocery stores across the city are also planning to shed jobs to make up for declining sales. It appears the tax is causing some shoppers to drive beyond the city's borders in order to do their grocery shopping. Would have seen that coming, right? In 30 years of business, there's never been a circumstance in which we've ever had a sales decline of any significant amount. Jeff Brown, executive officer of Brown Superstores, told Bloomberg, I would describe the impact as nothing less than devastating. For now, Kennedy and other city officials seem unfazed, dismissive even, of the problems caused by the new tax. A city spokesman told Philly.com that no one knows whether the low sale figures and predicted job losses are anything more than fear-mongering to prevent this from happening in other cities. Kennedy put an even finer point on it. I didn't think it was possible for the soda industry to be any greedier, Kennedy said in an email statement to Philly.com reporter Julia Teruso. They are so committed to stopping this tax from spreading to other cities that they are not only passing the tax they should be paying on to their customer, they're actually willing to threaten working men and women's jobs rather than marginally reduce their seven-figure bonuses. It's not the first time Kennedy has tried to ignore basic economics when it comes to the soda tax. A few weeks ago, he blamed grocery stores and restaurants for price gouging when they increased prices for sugary drinks to make consumers pay for the cost of the tax. The tax is technically applied on the transaction between distributors and retailers, but like all other taxes, it gets passed along. If Kennedy's right, then the soda manufacturers and distributors are engaged in a massive conspiracy with grocery stores and eating establishments to lie to the city's tax collectors, fire workers, and craft a fake narrative about the devastating effects of the Philadelphia soda tax. I suppose that's possible, 
all those groups did oppose the tax before it was passed, after all, but it seems far more likely that those groups and the city itself are experiencing a first-hand lesson in how economic incentives work. Consumers who don't want to pay an extra 1.5 cents per ounce for their favorite sugary drinks have a strong incentive to avoid buying soda or juice or iced tea or sports drinks in Philadelphia. They're leaving the city to buy soda and doing the rest of the grocery shopping outside the city too. That leaves grocery stores with less revenue and creates an incentive to cut costs, which could mean laying, mean laying off workers. Or as Philadelphia State Representative Stephen Bloom, a Republican, put it on Twitter, economics is to politics as gravity is to jumping. Philadelphia planned to use the money from the tax to fund a new pre-K program in the city's public schools. That program launched even before the tax went into effect, but revenue projections after the first two months suggest the city might be left with a deficit. Per month, Philadelphia expects to collect about $7.6 million from the tax, but in collections totaled just $2.3 million in January, City and State Pennsylvania reported this week, citing a city report. There are a few caveats here. Some stores and restaurants are suspected of stockpiling sodas in December before the tax took effect and might have been selling those untaxed sodas in January. That would lower the city's collections in the first month, but would suggest that the revenue should rebound in the future. Philadelphia officials told state, City and State Pennsylvania that they suspect a 10% non-compliance rate is similarly dragging revenue collections down. Even so, collections would have to double, and then some in the future months, to reach the expected levels. Given what grocers are saying about sales, that seems unlikely. Philadelphia is the biggest city in the country to experiment with aggressive soda tax, but others are already looking to follow suit. Before they jump on the idea, they may want to see how this plays out. So far, at least Philadelphia's soda tax is looking less like a model to copy and more like a cautionary tale. Well, yeah, there's a couple of things here. One, Mr. Uh, official who's going, oh, the companies are gouging. It's like, From a guy who's brought a tax in, he's talking about other people gouging money. I know. Right. And, and yeah. I mean, what can you say? <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. And then, and then they did the, the other great government thing of... They spent money on something before they actually had the money. Well, I mean, look at when they've tried this with the vape taxes, yep. you know? And then well, they're any like, tax. Oh, oh, fuck, you know? Now we have no businesses in the con in this county. Fuck, now what do we do? Well, let's make it go away. After businesses have closed and people have lost their jobs, they don't listen. They don't live within their fucking means. Nope, and they don't, none of them None of them seem to understand economics. Mm -mm. No. I mean, you ask any normal person on the street, if you had to pay 10% more for that product, would you still buy it? And the, a normal person would go, oh, I'd have to think about it. Possibly not. Yeah. But that's not how these government people think. So yeah, we'll just tax that. It'll give us more money. It's like, <laughs> really? Do you know anything about how money works? Really? <laughs> My God. Because I mean, the same happens with uh, any tax income tax. Obviously, income taxes are the ones most people get upset about. And yeah, this is why they never massively increase 
taxes yep. on people's earnings. Because yep. they know it ends up... They know on that one, it's the only one they seem to know about, that if they increase <laughs> it too much, they end up getting less. Because people well, I mean, start a... putting money offshore and all that kind of stuff. Right. But, I mean, it's it's the Laffer curve. Yeah. We can see the Laffer curve. Go to New York and look at their taxes on cigarettes. You can see the Laffer curve in action. Yeah. What is it? 90% of cigarette butts, they, they collected cigarette butts in New York City. You know, the anti-wackos to do one of their, you know, anti-wacko studies. Right. So they're looking at these cigarette butts and they're like not even brands made in America. Yeah. Well, so they didn't it it shows you how stupid they are because all they needed to do was find the guy on every street that's selling the illegal cigarettes. <laughs> find the guy with the white van. <laughs> yeah. They're everywhere. I know. But I mean that's the thing. It, it's almost like the government is so in love with the criminal element that they want to help them get a leg up. Well, I can and give you an example stupid. of how dumb some of these people are. But this is <laughs> oh, okay. this involves medicines in the UK. Okay. Right. So when before before the TPD even uh, the the MHRA, which is the medicans mm-hmm. me, medical and healthcare regulatory authority in the right. UK, mm-hmm. wanted basically to med- medicinalize E6. I remember that. They didn't get to do it and all that, but one of the things they were told by experts and us and anyone else uh, was if you do that, you're going to create a black market. And they're like, no, 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 no. That that won't happen. We don't have black markets. And and it was pointed out to them, well, what about over... You know, you want to treat it like an over-the-counter medicine. What about all the the black market, dodgy, over-the-counter medicines. And one of the officials actually said, no, we don't have those. (laughs) The week before, they'd put out a press release saying, oh, we just seized 500 million pounds worth of illegal over-the-counter medicines. But you had this guy go up in front of, you know, Parliament and go, oh, no, 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 there's no black market in the UK. Well, I mean, that's that's Stanton Glantz and Simon Chapman. They're all seen from the same tobacco control idiot playbook. They're always saying the same things. They're always saying stuff like, there's no black market. Yeah. Australia. Australia, yeah. The, the, yeah, the, the, sale, the sales are the same on... Well, <laughs> it looks like the smoking prevalence is probably the same, but the sales of cigarettes are up. And that's only of the legal ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who are tracking all forms of tobacco, mm-hmm. the top three brands in Australia are Malaysian and aren't supposed to be sold in Australia. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. Australia's a fucking island. Yeah. It's in the middle of fucking nowhere. And they get illegal stuff. Tons exactly. of it. Um, mm-hmm. In the UK, the last time I checked... The customs people here said for every container, that's container, not by ton, this is container, so maybe 40, 50 tons, of illegal tobacco they find, there's probably another four containers that have got through. And that's, yeah, we're an island too. 
<laughs> so imagine a, the ones with land borders really don't stand a chance. Um, there's a Facebook group called Amazing Woodworking. Uh -huh. if, if you can go there, there's a video of them sawing open some logs yeah. and finding a shit ton of contraband tobacco stuffed inside the logs. Yeah. I mean, that's impressive. Oh, smuggling. Did you see the the congressman on, on about marijuana? Which Bringing one? up the old 90s thing. Well, yeah, agents could smuggle, you know, foreign or evil people could smuggle nuclear weapons into the U.S., with in marijuana bales, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, I posted when I saw that today, I posted it on Twitter with, and this is why you need congressional term limits. Because him limits. and a couple of other congressmen were like, "Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah." Yeah. Well, him and the guy who thinks Guam's gonna capsize, and a couple of other ones need to go. I went and looked it up after I saw the story. Uh, do you know what the current estimated total of unaccounted for enriched uranium is in the USA? No. Six metric tons. Why would they need to <laughs> smuggle nuclear material into the US? Six tons of it's missing as it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and a lot of that has to be due to government incompetence. It is. They even admit, well, a lot of it's down to bad record keeping in the 70s. <laughs> like, but but you need you only need like half a kilo of that shit to make a bomb, and you've got six metric tons of it missing. Yeah, <laughs> that's enough for many thousands of bombs. You know. That... You know. I mean, all you really need to do is get one idiot with a good idea in their head to blow up something. You know. Well, something... and we've t we've covered stories like this before. Some of your nuclear arsenal people maybe. Surprised to learn, and it's not the big ICBMs and missiles, mm -hmm. but nuclear um, artillery shells and stuff like that. Yeah. But they're stored in depots with all the other weapons. Oh yeah. So the, and know. and these depots that have the one guy patrolling the perimeter and keep getting broken into and all assault rifles stolen, those guys <laughs> could be walking off with nuclear weapons too. Well, I mean, let's be honest. We know that we use shells coated with depleted uranium in Syria. Mm -hmm. So it exists. I mean, and... No, 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 uh, no. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about the ones that are actually nuclear weapons. I understand that. But I'm saying even with something coated with depleted uranium, something bad can be done with that as well. Oh, yeah. And people refuse to take that into account. I mean, you know, I, I'm not trying to have a Trump moment here. But I remember when he, <laughs> you remember when he said, um, they asked him about, you know, nuclear energy and he's like, and they can do very bad stuff with that. Very bad stuff. Yeah. I'm not an expert in nuclear armaments or making weapons. That's you. Oh, you, you haven't heard his latest stuff. No. Have you? Uh, no. yeah, yeah. He's on about escalating the arms race and making the American military stronger and oh. more nuclear weapons. Yeah. That, that was the last. That was one yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't I, caught, I haven't read it all yet, but uh, yeah, that one stood out. It's like you should increase military spending, and we must have a bigger nuclear arsenal. And you're like, right? The people who said at least he won't take us to war. <laughs> well, he won't take us to war with Russia. I'm not yeah. so sure about China. 
or Mexico or Canada or that guy who said something bad about him on Twitter once. Trudeau Trudeau Mm -hmm. does not have the balls to do it. I'm just saying. I've I've seen that guy. That guy does not have the balls to go to war. Just saying. Um, Would he? I'm just worried it might be like some little internet troll in London upsets him and on Twitter and (laughs) it'll start a nuclear war with the UK. Uh, I. Um, that definitely wouldn't go well for either side. You'd obliterate us, and we'd really badly damage you. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, honestly, I live in a first strike zone. The only way out here is by boat. So you know, um, there's, there's only about ten percent of the UK's land mass that isn't in strike zone. <laughs> yeah, we're not very big. Yeah. You've no, seen 28 Days Later. They all piss off I, to the middle of nowhere in the Highlands. Yeah. It's that kind of deal. <laughs> I actually, I really like 28 Days Later. I mean, I, I really liked both the 28 Days films, actually. Um, realistic? I don't know about that. But very well done. Yes. Really. You know, um, well thought out horror. Well thought out zombie movies. You don't really see those anymore. They're all like the Resident Evil zombies. And, you know, in the very beginning, I think people don't realize this. Um, Like, Dawn of the Living Dead, Night of the Living Dead, those stories were all political allegory. Yeah, social commentary, yeah. Exactly. People don't look at it and see that for what it was. But it's really all about politics. Oh, yeah, I mean, the original one black guy gets shot at the end yeah <laughs> yeah exactly yeah tells you something yeah. uh yeah margo i guess mexico could just turn their drug cartels loose although you know they that may well rights. happen since trump keeps going on about he's gonna you know he's gonna go there and be able to deal with the bad hombres i said before that- you know the mexican government should go yeah come ahead you have a go I- because they've been fighting them for decades. <laughs> I, I don't I don't think they're, you know, I, I don't think the wall is going to be the wall people picture it being. I think it's going to be like a chain link fence, and I don't know how high we're going to be able to afford to make it. But I will tell you something. They say Mexico will pay for it because they're going to put a 20% tariff on every product that comes to Mexico. So your guavas that were four dollars a pound are going to be five dollars a pound. Yeah, lots of your fruit and tariff money. You know, I I don't. How do? How is it? None of these fucking politicians understand economics at all. He'll do that, and then half of the United States will end up with scurvy because you're not getting enough fruit and veg. (laughs) (laughs) God, thanks, Barry. I just thought I'd put it out there. Because yeah, I think I think people have this idea that Mexico's this dry, dusty country and forget ninety percent of its jungle. Um, yeah, <laughs> and it they is. grow a hell of a lot of food. Yeah. They, well, not Hence, why they have such yeah. a large population. Yeah. Yep. Well, they they don't have a choice. They kind of have to, but you know, they also they don't keep the best stuff for them. You know. Because yeah, lots of people's ideas of Mexico seem to originate from cowboy films, um, well, <laughs> which is only the northern part of Mexico, not the yeah. the more southerly areas. Well, I mean, if you 
And I haven't talked about Ben Swan in a long time, but I, I, I guess I wouldn't talk about Ben Swan because I haven't in a really long time, and, and I probably should. He was he just a guy who was a cameraman. He was educated at home. His mother quit working to educate him and his brothers and sisters. And, um, you know, by the time he was 16, he had graduated college. He was a pretty smart guy. And he wound up drifting aimlessly for a while and, and wound up being like a, a, a cameraman. And then ended up being behind the camera. And he covered the drug war in Warex when nobody else would. You know, just about the killings that were happening over the border and stuff. And he won an Edward R. Murrow Award He's a really good journalist. And if you want to see some really good journalism, you want to go back and look at those reports on Juarez. Because what is the name of the film about the drug tunnels? Sicario. Sicario. Um, It's this stuff, just the stuff he covered. And they couldn't really show you everything because it was, you know, your basic evening news. Um, but this stuff makes Sicario look like a joke. And Sicario was, I thought, quite realistic. Yeah. You can never stop the flow of drugs. And Ooh. I love I love how all of a sudden the Republicans and Trump are all about, oh, we're gonna you know, we're gonna go after all these places that have legalized marijuana and we're really gonna enforce it. It's like why? What the hell is wrong with letting people get high, for God's sake? They're not hurting anyone. Shit. You want to do something that'll have an impact? Go after alcohol. It is kind of amusing, the reactions the Republicans are getting in their town hall meetings this week, though. <laughs> I don't have oranges. I have uh, I have an orchard, though. My neighbor has an orchard out back at his house. Oh, that's, that's a good one, actually. Did you see the stuff about CPAC, Trump's speech? The flags. No. No. People were waving Trump flags. On the other side, it was Russian flags. <laughs> and some some guy was running around grabbing them all. <laughs> you know, honestly... And some guy was wearing a shirt, make, make Russia great again. Look, you know what? They were blaming, yet yeah, again, blaming, oh, the, the Democrats must have bust in people. What, to the closed meetings? <laughs> How did they manage that? (laughs) Let me put it this way. I don't... Whoever sits in that Oval Office is dangerous. I don't care who they are. And Trump is just an easier target than most because he's unsophisticated and he says things in a bluntly stupid manner, right? But he's done many of the same things that people before him have done. He's just freaking out there with it. He has no nuance. And it doesn't matter whether Russia got him elected or not. Either way, we know from what they've done with the black box voting that the Democrats were rigging the election. They just didn't rig it hard enough. So if you think your vote counts... If you think it matters, it doesn't. Whoever sits there sits there to serve a purpose. Yeah. Whatever purpose it is, I don't know. 
but um well i i'm still of the opinion they're just giving it the the staunch republicans who've been really quiet about him for quite a long time now uh, ryan and the rest are just giving him enough rope to hang himself he'll get impeached then pence takes over good god that, that's really you, what i think's going on why do you hate us I don't hate you, but I think that's what's going on. <laughs> I'm just saying, Pence is just oh my god. Because yeah, you notice that all all the high ups in the Republican Party are just not saying anything at the minute. They're just what letting it all say? play out. Well, I actually I kind of admired Rand Paul for saying, well, you know, we're actually lucky John McCain isn't president. Yeah. <laughs> that was good though when he explained, you know the but, ISIS thing, yeah. and then he showed the videos of John McCain, you know, meeting with members of ISIS, and then trying to get the rebel factions in Syria all psyched up, and promising them weapons, which, what kind of a fucking politician films that shit? You well, know what I mean? Ones. Idiots! Idiots <laughs> film that shit! You don't yeah. film that shit! Well, yeah, as I say, next week could be interesting because uh, they're getting a lot of backlash at their local meetings. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next week or two. Well, I mean, I, I think... California, I think... they don't have public meetings, so people are planning huge protests. Well, these, you know... Cal- these are Republican voters. They're planning these protests. It's not, okay, well... So like our politicians won't talk to us. We're going to have a march. Right. California has its own set of problems. Yeah. We want to secede. Oh, wait. Shit. Our infrastructure is failing. Father government, can we can we please have a loan? Come on. Right? I mean, this is where we are. 25% this of, their area, of their areas aren't in drought anymore after last week. That's one thing. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> they know this shit is a once-in-a-lifetime deal. Yeah. You know what I mean? These these sort of deluges are like a once-in-a-lifetime thing. They know it's going to happen. And not even a once-in-a-lifetime thing. It's like a once-in-every-50-years thing. That's for they California's... knew it was coming, and they didn't budget for it. That's for California seceding. Uh, could happen any year. Uh, they well, do have the San Andreas fall right fault. in the freaking yeah. ocean. <laughs> yeah, could fall could, off at any time. Yeah, It could be an island archipelago all its own. Archipelago all its own. You know. Well, I mean, uh, I think it's the the bit up past part of San Francisco and north of San Francisco would be okay. <laughs> Southern California, yeah, it'd just disappear. Uh, funnily enough, the archipelago bit, the the spit of land in the south that's actually part of Mexico, it'd be okay as well because the fault <laughs> runs the other side of it. But the actual bit in the U.S., yeah, it's the bit where the the giant fault line is so yeah yeah i just i don't know california has its own set of problems that it should have been saving for and it, it has its main problem is it's california <laughs> well its main problem is it's got the gdp of a small country and it can't fucking save anything you know i i don't i don't get it but i i don't have to <sighs> Well, it's one of the places where they're not allowed to change tax. So, yeah. All the companies, that's why all those big companies are based there. Because the tax is low compared to everywhere else in the US. (laughs) That's why Apple's there, Microsoft, all the rest. That's the only reason they're still there. Yeah, you know, 
And the amazing part is that they have workers that are making five-figure salaries that live in a fucking car park at night. Yep. They can't afford to live there. Uh, California is psychotic in so many, many, many ways. Not just the fact that, you know, all of Hollywood lives there and all the actors are from there. Well, no, 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 but... no. Most of the actors don't live there anymore. <laughs> They probably can't afford to. A heck of a lot of... Have you not noticed shitloads of the stuff's now done in Canada? Um, <laughs> I, the, I have... This is one reason why there are so many Canadian actors in the US. Well, is well, most, A load of filming's done in Canada these days. So, well, yeah. it, it used to be when I was there. Um, Forever Night, The X-Files. Um, what else? Dark Eight. Um, I, I saw a lot of production when I was there. Most of the new uh, Netflix and um, Amazon stuff's all filmed in Canada. Mm -hmm. uh, it's because well, Canada have tax breaks on filmmaking. Well, what I was going to say is they also have partnerships. They yeah. they subsidize their artists. You know. But anyway, um, so basically California is in a shitload of trouble. We're in a shitload of trouble. The globe is in a shitload of trouble. And, you know, the monetary supply is kind of fucked. That I know, I know I've said it before, but yeah, you know, moving to Bhutan, which has problems, but a lot problems. less of these big problems. It's only got small problems. You know, no, like it's The got neighbor's corruption. dog pissed on my stuff. No, it's, um, it's, got, it's got some real good corruption there. You just don't hear about it. I've got friends from there. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it's still probably in a better state than most of the Western world in general. I don't know. And I don't think GDP... It's more stable. Yeah. I don't think GD, I don't think happiness as a GDP is something you can quantify. I, I'm sorry. That's not your gross domestic product. It can't be. I, I it do I do like their, I do like their ruler, though. He's hilarious. Government pass a law. <laughs> ruler, no. Would you mean no? I don't want you to pass it. But we passed it. Ah, but you've got to get me to agree to it, so no. Yeah, well, he did get all those monks and stuff out of jail for daring <laughs> to have, like, two and they banned, of chewing they, tobacco. They banned, yeah, they banned smoking, and he went, no. Yeah. So they had to roll it all back again. It's like, Because uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> if they didn't, the, the, the normal people... <laughs> would have risen up and lynched the politicians because Bhutan's still that way. <laughs> you know, it's like, there, you dissed the is... king, we're going to get you. <laughs> well, I mean, here's the thing. You know, there's something to be said for having the power to lynch your leaders. I mean, if you have the power to execute your leaders, then you're going to get good, fair, and, and just representation. Scandinavian, general, Scandinavian uh, monarchy. That was always a good one. Just as a general rule. I'm not saying we should do it here because, you know, you do that here, we get Mike Pence. No, 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 no. She, no, 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 you, no. <laughs> no, hang on. I was going to say, bring in the old-fashioned Viking-type rulership. Um, then then if, he, if you don't like what he does, you cut his head off and vote in, and vote in somebody else. You know, can I just say something uh, about the um, the the wave of protesters being paid for by you know, all sides? 
<laughs> Let's not say all sides. Let's just pick one side. Let's just pick the side that thinks that Hitlery deserved to be sitting in the White House. Do you know there are still some of those people that think if Trump gets assassinated, Hillary will somehow be able to sit in the White House? Did you know that? Well, yeah, I know that. But, yeah, there are stupid people all, on all sides. Um... Mm, yeah. I mean, I think what is surprising to me is Republic, the general I mean, the, the loads ignorance. Trump but... can think he can pass any law he likes, and that's not true. I, oh, I know. No, and so... that's not the way it works. I mean, I, I think they need to bring back... If we're going to have public education, they need to teach these kids civics. Yeah. And laws, because they have no fucking clue what's going on. Nope. No clue. They're, they're all a... going. They're all retreating. They're safe spaces and coloring, waving their arms and bashing their legs against the ground and playing with plasticine. And... I'm I'm sure I mentioned my friend who like her daughter is in college. Sending, did, did I tell you she sent her mother pictures of, of the kids screaming and wailing in their safe spaces? Yeah, you told me after Hillary yeah. lost. Oh my god, well, I mean, I there's news reports imagine. about it as well. All the colleges yeah. setting up these safe rooms for people safe. to go and be upset, and it's like, what you know, what scares me? I've a lot of the kids today, we've we've got a couple of them that that work at my store, and they're like. Yeah, I'm going in. I'm going in the Marines, and I'm like, you can't handle it when somebody tells you you didn't fill eggs right. Fucking moron! You you think you're going to be able to carry a gun and and go out there and be a soldier? They might get right. as far as week two. You never know. <laughs> well, I mean, the state of our our military is in massive disarray, and. <clears throat> You know, I think a lot of that goes back to the, you know, the just helicopter parenting and, and babying and treating children like they're idiots until they're 21 and then expecting them to make it on their own. And they have no clue how to deal in the real world because they've never lost anything. They've never had to do anything. They've just been babied all along. And, and they think this is how life is. Yeah, I mean, Not my upbringing. Yeah. I had to learn how to cook, clean, mend clothes, all that kind of crap by the time I was seven. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here now because I would have starved. Um. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I worked on a farm. I yeah. wasn't, I was, the one time I got a vacation, I was in the hospital for six months. Yeah, other than that, you know, I was doing something to make life productive so that we could eat at night. Yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, I got a break for uh, when I got bronchitis. Yeah, yeah. so, Similar. I mean, and that's, you know, exactly. Um, and I don't see that kind of work ethic anymore. Or if you do have a kid who's a halfway decent worker and you tell them to do something, they want to go home, they'll just lie to you and tell you it's done. It, it, it really is amazing the amount of of just, I don't want to say that kids are lazy or shiftless, but a lot of the problems that kids have come to them directly from their families and the way society 
has allowed children to be raised. I saw, and I talk about free range kids a lot, I think, um, probably more than I should, but I saw on um, the lady's site who were, who she writes free range kids. She had a picture that was posted at a local church on the bathroom doors that says, if your child is 12, they are allowed to use the bathroom by themselves. If not, you must attend the restroom with them. You know how that's going to go over well if you're a single parent? Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm amazed by that. 12. Well, the, you have to be 12? The one, go ahead. You'll like this one, right? Uh, the the people telling you they've done work and just go home instead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had a member of staff do that on me once. Uh, they, they did it once. Do you know they why they only back. did it once? Because you Cause, fired their ass? No, because when they came in the next day, they noticed that on the official timesheet, it was an hour, they'd been given an hour less for the working day the day before. <laughs> why have I got an hour less than everybody else? Because you're supposed to be vacuuming the dining room and you didn't. Yes, I did. So how come there are crumbs under all the tables? You can't take an hour off me. I think you'll find a can. I think. <laughs> Went to complain to the manager. The manager was like, well, if you didn't do the work, we only pay you for work. We don't pay yeah. you for not work. <laughs> we actually have plenty of people that do that at work now, too. They try to take the, the this they particular person skived all the time because uh, it wasn't just me they worked for. They worked in other departments as well. And the housekeeper started doing the same once she, she found out what I was doing. And this person tried to take them to a tribunal and it got kicked out. Can you imagine the judge? So you want paid for not doing the job you're being paid to do? Uh, go away. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it is just, it's psychotic out there. Yeah. It really is. That was, you're in, God, nearly 20 years ago now. It, but I'm saying, but, if you're yeah. in the real world now... These kids, they have no clue, yeah. you know, and and they think it's so hard. And it's like, man, you get it. You better put your Did big you girl see... skirt on because life hasn't begun to screw you yet. You want an excellent story to read? Um, okay. uh, you may well have already have. Laura Penny's um, last one she released about the <laughs> Milo Yiannopoulos. Mm -mm. She's been touring around with him, so she wrote an article the other day about the, basically, the kids that are all hanging out with him, because they're oh. all under 20s, and yeah, they're absolute terror at what happened at Berkeley and, and after, because <laughs> of course, yeah, they've never seen any sh they're all from white privileged families, they've never seen that shit before, <laughs> and they've no way of dealing with it. <laughs> well, I mean, and that's the thing. If imagine you can't handle the guy or girl you wanted to win, not winning. If you can't handle that, how are you going to handle if you get married and you have a spouse die? If you have a child that's born with a disability, if you have a host of thousands of other things wrong, how do you deal with that? You know what I mean? It, it can't be done. It's it's frightening to me. It is basically what's going on in the world right now. It's frightening to me. 
that there are a whole generation of kids that are just they're so screwed they're so screwed and their parents did it to them their parents and then societies for the children this did this to these kids i'll try to find that article because i think you'll like it I don't think it was in the Guardian, it was one of the other places, but... Uh... Oh, okay, while you're doing that, I'm going to read about uh, Cody Wilson's progeny. Actually, yeah. I don't think it's his progeny. Man who used CNC mill to make untraceable guns, sentenced to 41 months. Daniel Crowninshield let essentially anyone unlawfully manufacture firearms. Sacramento, California man was sentenced Thursday to over three years in prison for unlawful manufacture for firearm and one count of dealing firearms. Last year, Daniel Crownchild pleaded guilty to these counts in exchange for federal prosecutors dropping other charges. According to investigators, Crownchild, known online as quote-unquote Dr. Death, would sell unfinished AR lower receivers which customers would then pay him to transform into fully machined lower receivers using a computer numerically controlled CNC mill. In October 2014, Cody Wilson of Austin, Texas, who pioneered 3D printed guns, began selling a CNC mill called the Ghost Gunner, designed to work specifically on an AR-15 lower. In order to create the pretext that the individual in such a scenario was building his or her own firearm, the skilled machinist would often have the individual press a button or put his or her hands on a piece of the machinery so the individual could claim that the individual rather than the machinist made the firearm the government claimed in its april 14th plea agreement under federal law it is allowed to manufacture your own firearm even with a cnc mill but is not allowed to do so for others without proper licensing in a thursday statement special agent in charge jill a snyder of the bureau of alcohol tobacco and firearms that paragon of virtue said that the Crown Shield owned and operated a machine shop where he allowed customers with unknown backgrounds to use his machinery to unlawfully manufacture firearms for profit. That activity posed a very dangerous threat to the safety of our communities. You know, unlike the threat of, you know, Fast and Furious or, you know, selling, you know, tobacco back and forth, that's not a threat. That was fine. Yeah. I don't know. You know, two wrongs don't make a right. And it, it just seems weird to have the criminals prosecuting the criminals. I think I have a real problem with that. More so than anything else. This is not about gun rights because it isn't. But um, I have a problem with the ATF doing this. We know that the ATF is a criminal enterprise. Yeah. Somebody else should be they prosecuting they keep, them. That's they keep what I'm saying. proving it. So, yeah. Yeah, they do. Yeah, so that's. Did that. I found, uh, I found that story. Okay. Put the link um, in the chat. I'll put it in our chat as well. Okay. But well, yeah, I, I think, I think you'll enjoy the read. Because obviously, Laurie Penny's a good writer. Um, okay. Good old Penny Red. Yeah. The, the, the right and left both hate her. So she must be doing something right. <laughs> wow, is that you or me that's slow? It's probably That's what? Okay, well You know, um, if you Use the Trump Assumption, then she must be doing something right Yeah uh, Okay uh, I will read 
Should I just read it now? I mean, I, this isn't me, but I'll, I'll, I'll just read it. On the Milo bus with the Lost Boys of the America of America's New Rights. What happens when a movement of gamers recognizes they're not players but pawns? You heard the one about the boy who cried fake news. This is a story about truth and consequences. It's a story about who gets to be young and dumb and who gets held unaccountable or are accountable. It's a story about how the new right exploits young men, how it preys not on their bodies, but on their, on their emotions, on their hearts and hopes and anger and anxiety, their desperate need to be part of a big, ugly boys on adventure. It's a story of how so many of us have suffered the consequences of that exploitation. And it's a story of how consequences finally came from Milo Yannopoulos too. The worst kind of consequences for a professional troll. Consequences that nobody finds funny. Consequences that cannot be mined for name and profit. As I write Yannopoulos, the fame-hungry right-wing provocateur and self-styled most dangerous supervillain on the internet, is fighting off accusations of having once endorsed pedophilia. Former friends and supporters who have long tolerated his outrage mongering as childish fun are now dropping him like a red-hot turd. His book deal has been canceled, CPAC has disinvited him as a speaker, and today he resigned from his job at Breibart. I've been following Yannopoulos' tour for months, and I can absolutely confirm he means almost nothing he says, and he will say almost anything for attention, and that none of it matters to those who face violence and trauma as a result. Yannopoulos has cashed in hard on the cowardice of American conservatives, exploited their complete, complete allergy to irony. Now it's payback time. I knew Yannopoulos before he was Yannopoulos, and we are still not friends, because I'm not friends with anyone who puts my real friends in danger for fun and fortune. And anyway, his tour bus smells of sweaty teenage trolls. Before this week, Yannopoulos was a bratty, vicious court jester of the New Right who made a name for himself by saying grotesque and shocking things that he may or may not have ever believed. He does this compulsively with no respect for the repercussions or for the fact that a lot of people do believe what he says and act accordingly. I've never in my life met, seen someone who so obviously and emphatically asking for a smack in the mouth, and the only reason he doesn't deserve it is that he wants it too much. Yannopoulos should know full well the American tendency to take sick jokes seriously, and the reason he should know full well is the entire reason his shtick works in America when it didn't work in Britain. It's the entire reason entire hordes of teenage fans follow him from speaking event to speaking event, hanging with desperate loyalty off every word that comes out of his face. This time it backfired. This time an ugly joke about having been taught to give head by a Catholic priest fell flat, as did a section of quotes from video debates where in the Miracle Boy's own words on Facebook, my own experiences as a victim led me to believe I could say anything I wanted on this subject no matter how outrageous. But I understand that my usual blend of British sarcasm, provocation, and gallows humor might have come across as flippancy, a lack of care for other victims, or worse, advocacy. I deeply regret that. Anopolis protests this time he didn't really mean it, that those words have been taken out of context, that child sex abuse is real, and that he understands that his words have consequences for victims. This time the steam stick fell fat, flat as they burst higher on the freeway, and the pileup is getting ugly. The reason it fell flat is that for all the American right likes to show off its pet homosexuals to prove its modernity, it turns out that it still hates gays. Christian conservatives worldwide are still unconvinced that LGBT people deserve human rights and the old fault slurs that gay men abuse children and ignore the age of consent still hit home. It's hardly ironic that all of the disgusting nonsense 
Yiannopoulos has said about women, about Muslims, about transgendered people, about immigrants. It is now only the moderate right that appears to have reached the limits of what it will tolerate in the name of free speech. The hypocrisy is clarion clear. This was never, in fact, about free speech at all. It was about making it okay to say racist, sexist, transphobic, and xenophobic things, about tolerating the public expression of those views, right up to the point where it becomes financially unwise to do so. Then suddenly, dropping Yiannopoulos are making a business decision, not a moral one. And yes, even in Donald Trump's America, there's still a difference. It, that difference devours Yiannopoulos and his minions. They will find few mourners. Yiannopoulos followed the path of least resistance until suddenly it resisted. Now he knows just what it is like to have the internet turn on you and take away your control of the narrative. Now the entire alt-right is realizing in full view of a million popcorn-munching online leftists that they were never the new punk. They were never the suave and seductive black shirts of American authoritarianism. They are at best the brown shirts, and they are becoming less useful to their benefactors by the day. Where they were once underground, they are now ankle-biting embarrassment to the movement they made mainstream, and they have no clue what to do next. Mind rewind two weeks. It's a wet night in Berkeley, and Yiannopoulos is running away from the left. He was scheduled to speak at the University of California, Berkeley, but the event has been shut down. It was shut down because thousands of anti-racist and anti-fascist protesters... Oh, <laughs> don't get me started on the anti-fascist people decided that there should be no platform for what they called white supremacy. They're marching to say that free speech does not extend to hate speech, that the First Amendment should not oblige institutions to invite professional trolls to spout an auto-generated word salad of internet bigotry for fun, and that if the institutions agree, students and allies are entitled to throw fireworks and smash things until the trolls run away, which is exactly what happened. Five minutes after I arrive on campus, Claxtons are blaring in the event space, and the entire team on his dangerous faggot tour has been obliged to make what they might generally be termed a tactical retreat. Police in full right gear everywhere, and the whole place is evacuated because of the real possibility of everyone inside getting a serious and arguably deserved kicking. Whatever the rights and wrongs of punching fascists, if people of good faith and conscience are publicly debating whether or not you deserve a smack in the mouth, it's probably time to think about your life. The team is mostly comprised of young men, extremely young men, the sort of young men who are brave behind a computer screen and like to think of themselves as stalwart fighters for the all-American right to say whatever disgusting thing they please, but who are absolutely unequipped to deal with the suggestion of real-world consequences. I end up spending most of my time stuck in a hotel lobby interviewing the people who follow Yiannopoulos around, doing his grunt work and getting into scrapes as if the whole thing were a holiday lark rather than a serious political project with real repercussions for real human beings. It's vital that we talk about who gets to be treated like a child and what that means. All the people on the Yiannopoulos tour are over 18 and legally responsible for their actions. They are also young, terribly young, young in a way that only privileged young men get to be young in America. Where your race, sex, and class determine whether and if you ever get to be a stupid kid or a kid at all. I'm going to skip over the Mike Brown part. Um, uh, okay. Tamara Rice was just 12 years old when he was shot and killed in Cleveland for playing with a toy gun. The boys following Yiannopoulos are playing with a toy dictator, and they have faced no consequences as yet, even though it turns out their plastic play fascism is in fact fully loaded and ready for murder. As the evacuation gets going, the young men in Yiannopoulos' gang seem scared. They're right to be. The protesters aren't playing, and there's already been real violence at these events. One week earlier in Seattle, a Yiannopoulos fan shot an anti-fascist protester in the stomach. 
The victim is just expected to survive the impression that this is all an exciting adventure in pranking the left. A giddy game of harmless offense where no one actually gets hurt is not holding up so well. Over the next few hours, I get to watch Yannanopoulos' teenage entourage wrestle with the fact that this game is in fact deadly earnest and the wind conditions are changing and they are not players but pieces on the board. The vehemence of the protests and the headline-baiting images of masked men setting fires and breaking glass represents a small win for Yannanopoulos. He gets to go on Fox News and play the victim. The rest of the crew are purely freaked out. One of the younger hangers-on has an anxiety disorder and had to fight down a panic attack that could have held up the swift repeat. retreat. Whatever anyone claims, it's hard to shake off being run out of town by 3,000 people screaming that you're a Nazi. It's the sort of thing that gives everyone but the coldest sociopath at least a little pause. And most of this crew don't have the gumption or street smarts to function outside of a Reddit forum. They're not the flint-eyed skinheads that many anti-fascists are used to fighting. I'm not a brawler, but I'd wager these kids could be knocked down with a well-aimed stack of explanatory pamphlets, thus resolving decades of debate about whether it's better to punch someone or reason with braces. I wasn't supposed to be here. I came expecting a report on both sides of the line, talking to Yannopoulos and his gang, as well as the protesters. I was hauled in past the police barricades with three wide-eyed young event volunteers to thunderous cries of shame from the crowd. They had no reason to know I wasn't a volunteer myself. The evacuation sounds in the stifling green room. The bravado rapidly dissolves into panic as the team heads through a maze of corridors to the car park. One look at what's happening outside tells me if I value my bodily integrity, I'd better go with them. Yannanopoulos' tour manager is one of the few actual adults on the team, along with the security guards, drives us all at seat-grabbing speed through the California dark to Fremont. He asked me to treat anything I might hear in the car as off-record, given the mad scramble to evacuate, but he needn't have bothered. Most of the 45-minute journey passes in horrified silence as everyone listens to Fox News or scans their phones for videos, feeds of mass protesters tearing up buildings we just left. From time to time, somebody says a four-letter word. Yannanopoulos' entourage is exclusively male. Apart from the trainer, the tour manager, and the security staff, they're all under 20, and almost all painfully straight. Yannanopoulos has at least a decade on most of them, and he functions as part mentor, part employer. If Yannanopoulos has friends, he doesn't travel with them. I know you're wondering, so I'll say it. I'm as sure as I can be that he's not sleeping with any of the young men. That's not what they're here for. I think a lot of people in this crew wouldn't be a part of the popular crowd without the Trump movement, says one young man who is Yannopoulos' voiceover artist. I think some of us are outcasts. Uh, some of us are kind of weird. It's a motley crew. We arrive in the blank sun space of a Marriott hotel, and Yannopoulos immediately disappears to his room to do interviews. I'm left in the company of the Lost Boys, and I find myself feeling rather as I did half a lifetime ago when I was the only girl in my Dungeons and Dragons group. And the mere fact of being a real living female made me feel much less miraculous than a real living unicorn. Will it be friends with us? What should we feed it? Do you think if we're really nice to it, it'll give us a ride? Don't be stupid, Brendan. Those things are dangerous. Offer it a beer and don't blink. Those young men seem to have no conception of the consequences of belaying yourself publicly with the far right, even before their hero gets accused of endorsing pedophilia in public. Annapolis has been good to them. They're having a great time. Over the course of a few hours, I find myself playing an awkward Wendy to these lackluster lost boys as I watch them wrestle with the moral challenge of actually goddamn growing up. I enjoy the most respectful conversation, and these boys are scrupulously polite to me. They were polite to me a month earlier when I slept on their tour bus 
whispering till a door closed between me and them, and they immediately started talking loudly to each other about the crass and anatomically implausible things they wanted to do to me. Intellectually, they must have known I could hear them, but these kids were up on the internet, the world's locker room. If you can't see a woman, she doesn't really exist. The one grown man on the bus started yelling at them to go to hell to sleep. There's a girl back there, and they yelled back that they'd let me sleep if I'd let them suck my titties. It's no surprise here they're still yearning for the teat, but these babies had best be careful whether they go slobbering for milk of human kindness. I'm just about dried up. There's been a turn in the ranks since the last time I met them, as some fall out of favor and others join. The major difference, though, is that since Trump's inauguration, they're having a lot less fun. Annanopolis's tour has unquestionably been the greatest adventure of most of their lives, but on this last night of the adventure, there's no rap party underway, no victory blowout, no sense of victory at all. These are not scheming crypto-fascist masterminds I was led to believe. Seabass is 18 going on 12. Argentinian and the sort of person who thinks Seabass is a pretty cool fish to call yourself if your mother named you after Sebastian. His mother was worried about him palling around with the Annapolis because he's gay and she always says how handsome I am, but apparently calmed down after seeing how much Annapolis helped her son, fixing him up with connections and equipment to produce video and phones. Photos. Seabass uh, is the one person who seems entirely unaffected by the full-on riot we've just run away from. But Seabass has had several root beers and two magnums, the ice cream, and is on too much of a sugar bender to care about anything. I ask him how he sees his future. I've been asking this of everyone I meet in the screen room of Trumplandia. I want to make a lot of money, get married, he said, and then I want to kill God. Wow. Oh, good Lord. This just kind of goes on and on and on <laughs> and on uh, yeah you, I, you've got the basic gist yeah these yeah um it's like basically, yeah the, basically the far right have been using these guys well, and it, of it, course. They, they just don't realize it of course they have and they're children yeah. i mean literally in every sense of the word because society does not expect children to grow up because we treat them as children they act like children they're always yeah, there's, there's another about four pages worth. So yeah, you probably yeah. But I'm people good. can get the gist if they want to read the whole I'm thing. Good. They can. It's yeah. it's there. I I I will copy that and add it. At to, least it's at, at least unlike some of the articles you get. At least it's written nicely. Because <laughs> um, yeah, you know, Laurie's an excellent writer, but yeah, and she's not. You, you can tell she's not afraid to say things, and a no. bit. Milo is not very happy with this article. Well, you know, see, that's the thing about free speech. Yep. Somebody can be an asshole, and I have to sit there. I might not like it. I might not agree with it, but I have to respect it. Um, it's not just the law that tells me I have to. Common human decency tells me I have to, because yeah. once you shut down open debate about things that people think are distasteful, then you open the door to violence. And that's the yep. problem I have with the anti-fascist movement. They've decided anything to shut down fascism is worth it. Whereas you have people that go, okay, you know what? I'm black. And there are a couple of people who do this. Um, I'm going to go and I'm going to meet as many white supremacists as absolutely possible. And I'm going to talk to them like a human being and I'm going to relate to them and you know these people do that and these white supremacists start seeing them as people and they go fuck it I'm done 
know, there are ways to do things. The anti-fascist way of violent ripping up of, of people and things because people say things you don't like or might do things that you don't want to do completely disregards any other solution. And that's completely wrong. Yeah. Uh, the anti the anti fascists are the fascists. Yeah, uh, I mean they're both both sides are as bad. Yeah. Yeah. So there's no winning with these people. That's and that's I why that's why extreme is never good. <laughs> well, unless it's sports and you like that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, extreme right, extreme left. There's really no difference. I remember when the first X Games happened because they happened in the town where I went to high school. So that was kind of cool. I got to see a lot of stuff happen for the first time. I was pretty pleased. It was kind of cool, you know. Before then, we never had people who were professional skateboarders. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was kind of cool. I, I, I really liked that. Um, and it's 8.50. It's almost 9 o'clock, y'all. Yeah, there's only 19 minutes left on the clock. Yeah. I don't know that... Okay, I'm going to try reading this maybe really quickly. Where did our privacy go? We live in a society now that looks almost like one big Vegas poker table. Your cameras and microphones are on you, whether you're aware of them or not. Take the film Casino, a movie that explores the world of corrupt Vegas casinos in the 1970s. Consider the quote from Robert De Niro's character, Ace Rothstein. In Vegas, everybody's got to watch everybody else. Since the players are looking to beat the casino, the dealers are watching the players. The boxmen are watching the dealers. The floormen are watching the boxmen. The pit bosses are watching the floormen. The shift bosses are watching the pit bosses. The casino manager is watching the shift bosses. I'm watching the casino manager, and the eye in the sky is watching us all. The only difference between the atmosphere in Vegas and the atmosphere today is no one really quite sure is who is watching or listening and when. In every single TV show, when a crime happens on the street, getting video footage and using face recognition technology to identify that person is a staple of the plot. It's a far cry from 1884 when Eastman Kodak introduced their Kodak Brownie, which became a mass market camera by 1901, cheap enough for the general public. This allowed people and journalists to take candid shots of people in public places for the first time. Can you imagine life in just another hundred years? 2017 is a great period when it comes to privacy. No one's really sure about a lot of things. For example, in June of 2016, when Mark Zuckerberg covered his camera and audio plug with tape, people went into a tailspin. Does Mark know something we don't know? Does that mean everyone should cover their camera on their computer? Who's watching or listening? We know that criminals have something to worry about or hide when it comes to technologies that record your activity. Politicians and celebrities are also vulnerable to their email and phone being hacked, or footage of comments that were made on video years ago available to the general public. But what about the rest of us normal people? Should we also be concerned? If we have nothing to hide, that does that mean we should ignore our privacy and enjoy Facebook, iPhone, and Amazon Echo? Many of us enjoy the uses of devices like Alexa in our homes, but if Alexa is listening for her name to be said, her wake word, all the time, does that mean she is listening and possibly recording what we do all the time? Customers are concerned about their privacy at home and within reason, but many of us enjoy these technologies so much we're willing to forego our privacy. And according to Amazon, the answer is no. The reason that is even an issue is the recent murder case that came up where the police requested that Amazon provide them with the data from one's home 
Amazon Echo. According to the LA Times, the data of these devices doesn't stay at home, it's in the cloud. It's under the control of someone else, and because of the consent you signed or because of a legal process, they might be compelled to share it with the government. But Amazon assures they will not release customer information without a valid and binding legal demand properly served. Some swear off these devices and social networks that could possibly be used against him. But the rest of us who enjoy Facebook, Amazon Alexa, and other IoT devices that could easily be hacked tell ourselves, well, I've got nothing to hide. What are those other people hiding? But there are more implications for these devices, even if you aren't involved in a murder case. For example, insurance companies can get data from multiple sources and charge you more for your premiums. If a potential employer finds out you're on antipsychotic medication, perhaps from a private message that was exposed or you forwarded the wrong email to someone, game over. It's likely they would use that information against you in the hiring process. But what if a bank who is considering you for a home loan does a simple search on you and finds something unbecoming? A lot of people don't even realize that the posts they engage with online are visible to others. Do you know how I know that? LinkedIn. Every day I see posts from male contacts on LinkedIn they like a post from a young woman who's scantily clad. How embarrassing for them. It's LinkedIn. On an Amazon Echo, any family member in one house can look up the recorded data from the Echo. This could pose a problem if there are multiple people in the house and some of them want to maintain privacy. For example, what if the teenage daughter wants to find out, how to find out if she's pregnant and asks Alexa? What if one spouse requests information from Alexa about filing for divorce? There are so many places and devices that we use every day that could expose us. Most of us hope we'll never be targeted in a hack because it seems that once someone wants to do you harm, it's pretty easy to do so. Most of our online lives are just not that secure. Today is an important time in privacy. Many of us feel there's little we can do to protect ourselves. We don't want to cut ourselves off from the technologies we thoroughly enjoy, but we also don't want anyone spying on us or our families. Can we count on the government to regulate technology companies? Probably not. Can we count on technology companies to act responsibility? The jury's still out on that one. That was from Forbes. Yeah. I mean, it's true. You don't know. Nope. How do you know? You will never know. See, I have a and default setting of not trusting anybody. So, yeah. I don't trust. My default setting is I don't trust the government. So, um, one more, I think I can do really quickly before we go. Cause it's 14 a good one. minutes you've got. <laughs> okay. Judge rules against forced fingerprinting. This is good news. A federal judge in Chicago has ruled against a government request, which would require forced fingerprinting of private citizens in order to open a secure personal phone or tablet. In the ruling, the judge stated that while fingerprints in and of themselves are not protected, the government's method of obtaining fingerprints would violate the Fourth and Fifth Amendments. Yes, somebody mentioned the Fourth, my favorite amendment. The government's request was given as part of a search warrant related to child pornography brain. The court ruled that the government could seize devices, but that it could not compel people physically present at the time of seizure to provide their fingerprints onto the Touch ID sensor of any Apple, iPhone, iPad, or other Apple brand device in order to gain access to the contents of any such device. The ruling was based on three separate arguments. The first was the boilerplate language used in the request was dated and did not, for example, address vulnerabilities associated with wireless services. While this oversight would not eliminate probable cause in the investigation, it does undermine the extraordinary authority the government sought to compel individuals to provide their fingerprints to authorities. The judge also noted that there was no detailed information on the physical residence of the building, 
that would tie them to criminal activity of any sort. While physical devices could be collected in a general sweep, fingerprints were outside the bounds of that type of investigation. Second, the court said in the context in which the fingerprints were intended to be gathered may violate the Fourth Amendment search and seizure rights of the building residents and their visitors, all of whom would have been compelled to provide their fingerprints to open secure devices. Finally, the court noted that the, historically, the Fifth Amendment, which protects against self-incrimination, does not allow a person to circumvent the fingerprinting process. However, the relevant ruling is from the 1970s and does not cover the use of fingerprints to access a database of someone's most private information. Considering the role of phone usage in the average person's everyday life raises concerns that the Fifth Amendment would be violated by forced fingerprinting for the purposes of unlocking a mobile device. That, that judge needs a special award or something because, you know, he knows about technology and yeah. the law. Yep. Although I find the wording interesting. It's only Apple products. Yeah. yeah. If you have an Android-based product, which also has You're a fucked. fingerprint sensor, yeah, it's going to be a whole new court case. Um, well, I mean, here's the thing. At least there is that ruling for precedent, but, mm -hmm. you know. I know, but here's the thing. How many times have we told people over and over and over and over, over again, do not do that. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't use your fingerprint to unlock your goddamn phone. Don't be an idiot. Don't take the easy way out. It's, it's, Make a little it's more the, work for yourself. It's the one available biometric technology that is completely insecure. Yeah. Don't uh, retinal it. scans, very hard to get around. Um, there are certain types of pheromone scanner and the like. Uh, that's never going to appear commonly in technology. Uh, but yeah, fingerprint, least secure biometric security that's been invented. Pheromone but that's the scanner. one everybody's raving about. It's like, right, right. Pheromone scanner? Uh-huh. Every oh, person's new. got a different smell. Yeah, I, I know that. I, I know that. I, I know that from I know that from studying perfume making. Yeah. And there so, there is equipment for Detecting people's smell. Fantastic. It, it it developed out of scientists trying to figure out how dogs' sense of smell worked. Well, so I they remember, built equipment to replicate it. Well, I remember a couple of years ago we talked about the the smelling gun. Yeah. Do you remember that? Where there were places where they had legalized marijuana, and people were claiming they could smell it. And the county wanted to prosecute people for smoking marijuana as a nuisance. And they couldn't do it any reliable way. So they bought these guns that detected like parts per million of particles in the air. Yeah. And, and could tell you how bad of a nuisance that smell was so that they could prosecute people. But I remember that story. Yeah. So I assume the pheromone scanner acts on technology quite similar to that. Yes. But, you know, I mean, because, um, yeah, I mean, everybody thinks your sweat's just salty, smelly water. Uh, no, no, it's far it's more not. complex than that. I mean, there's, yes, it's salt, There's a reason why the... the sweat, uh, but there's oil glands in that. Yeah. There's, there's byproducts of everything you eat in that. Uh -huh. Everything you touch, you give something to you, but you give something to it. Every yeah, I mean, time this you is why oily the oily residue from your skin on something, 
You yeah. know what I mean? It's not just fingerprints. I mean, the East German, like the, the Stasi. I mean, they they had their infamous database of people's people smells. People's underwear. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if they ever needed to track them down, they could give the item of clothing to the tracker dogs and find the yeah, person. Yep. Or if so, they're trying um, to get out through the airport or whatever, you know, the dogs you know, would I be just, ready. I just kind of find society in general, you have much less privacy than you think. And there's a portion in 1984 where the protagonist says the only true privacy is the privacy inside your head. And even that he wasn't so sure of. That's, that's where we are, ladies and gentlemen. That's where we are. And they're developing technology right now where they're able to use brainwaves to help paraplegic people who can no longer speak convey their thoughts. So we're getting to a scary period in the intersection of science and history and privacy. And it's all kind of mixed up and ugly and we don't know where it's going to lead. The singularity. I don't want to join the singularity. I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm so private that, you know, I just go off and get married and don't tell anybody. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's how I am. So, um, there's that. I think, I, I think if the single singularity happened, I'd get kicked out. And, like, take your it. crazy brain out of here. <laughs> Probably would it be like, oh my god, it's like Marvin the Paranoid Android. Get out of here. I can't help it. I just, I like privacy. I always have. I've always been that way. And I will always be that way. Well, my, the reason I say I'd get kicked out <coughs> is the fact that my brain can have two dichotomous thoughts going on at the same time in different bits. Yeah. That really messes some people up, but uh, what the hell? It's fun. <laughs> you don't. With with me, you would never need a scanner to read my thoughts. I, I get told all the time I can tell what you're thinking by the look on your face. I can't hide anything. Ah, well, you see, I've, I've got very, very neutral body language, so people get confused. <laughs> I can't lie. Do you know what I mean? My, my physical characteristics, my features, and it's, a, it's almost a disability. It puts me at a real disadvantage in society that I can't lie. So as a consequence, I'm really, really private. I try it's not to easier. lie because I'm too good at it i'm very bad at it my well i've had all this customer care training i'm aware of body language all that kind of stuff um, well all i can tell you is i can smile at someone and they're like why are you grimacing <laughs> <laughs> because you're talking to me <laughs> so you know but i'm like that for everybody i'm an open book which is why I crave privacy so much. No, see, like I'm, 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 I'm a multifaceted, uh, I'm a Gemini, so, you know. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know Only two faces? It. Really? I've got many more. <laughs> I don't know anything about uh, that. All I know is my face gives me away. My body language probably doesn't, but my face gives me away all the time. 
Uh, the, the only one that really stands out on me is people normally know when I'm angry. But it's kind of hard for people to miss the physical cues from a, lar- a, a six-foot angry bloke. Um, <laughs> especially since uh, I've got this weird thing with the adrenal glands. Mm-hmm. And when I get angry, my eyes change colour because so much adrenaline's flushing my system. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> yeah, I'm my eyes go you. pale. <laughs> and I stop blinking and all the really worrying things, which even the most unempathic person, their brain's going, run away. <laughs> I don't, I just, I just wear the truth on my face. Um, that's why, in a way, I think that's why truth is so important to me. And it, it's why I. Truth I, is important. Is it, yeah. But I'm saying. I, I don't lie unless I absolutely. You know, I it's, don't lie. It's, it's one of the model things. It's well, the it is a judging moral whether thing. a lie is going to be harmful or. I don't lie. Otherwise. But yeah, I, I, I tend not to. I, I always I, say I'm honorable, not honest. I don't lie because I can't. And it's maybe one of the reasons why truth is so important to me because as the, that I'm so, my face is such an open book that people can read me. I can't read other people. That's why honesty is so important. Honesty and privacy, that's, that's me. That's just me. And the fact that you can read me like a book, well, that's just a bonus if you know me in person, I guess. You always know where you stand. Always. Yeah. And I guess that's about it for this evening. Okay. Do you want the music and music advert? Muppets. Yeah. yeah, the Muppets. I've missed them. Why do we always come here? I guess we'll never know. It's like a kind of torture to have to watch the show. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in-stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Um, thanks for listening, guys. Um, and the show will be up later tonight on antinanny.com in case you missed anything. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Friday.